your ride ready for spring driving with Dobbs Spring Break Deals. Money saver deals you can use on Goodyear, Pirelli, Cooper, Michelin, and General Tires. Expert auto service, too. Click on GoToDobbs.com for spring break deals now. Cheap, cheap, fun, fun. Spring is in the air and Dirt Cheap is in your neighborhood ready to deliver the perfect drinks to your doorstep. That's right. All of Dirt Cheap's convenient locations now offer delivery of their wide selections of beers, wines, and all the spirits you need. And if you're like me, nothing hits better in the springtime than a nice weeded bourbon. Ask the friendly staff at Dirt Cheap about their selection of weeders like Maker's Mark, Larceny, and so many others. Download the Dirt Cheap app and order curbside or delivery. Have fun, but be careful out there. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Is hammered towards center. Edmund on the run, still going at the wall. He's got it. Slams into the padding. What an incredible catch for Tommy Edmond. Uh, Tommy Edmond making big plays for the Cardinals all season long, and that was in center field. It was at shortstop. It was at second base, probably in one of the corner outfield spots. Maybe catcher, who knows why the reason he was picked as he nominee for the utility gold glove winner welcome everyone into a thursday edition of bk and ferrario alongside tanner Hendrickson. i'm alex ferrario bk with us as well t-bone did you have a good day yesterday i did have a great yeah. day yesterday got some good sleep i did yeah <laughs> yes woke up feeling fresh i did you know i feel like i could run a marathon today could you Maybe well, a half marathon, half marathon, probably 5k, yeah. maybe 10k. And by run, I mean like Walk. run when the gunshot goes off and then start walking. Walk the rest next of the way. to that yeah. cart with the balloon that says, if you're behind this cart, you get kicked out. Yeah. BK, how about you? Oh yeah. Uh, Good you. night, huh? Good morning. Good to hear my man. For those that are wondering why there's a cutout of BK not next to us. Well, he's running a little behind. He'll be with us shortly and don't worry, we'll, we'll hear the whole story once he gets into studio. But trust me, we found our junk drawer today. <laughs> oh, junk drawer. We might have two segments worth of junk drawer today. Uh, and Joe Vitale's going to be with us, so he'll be able to join in on the fun as well. But let's start with Tommy Edmond because the uh, Gold Glove nominees were named yesterday. Uh, you've seen the stories by now. Nolan Arenado was not in the top three, which snaps, what is it, 10 straight seasons where he was a Gold Glove nominee, uh, or winning the Gold Glove, I should say. Paul Goldschmidt does not get a a nomination as he's not in the top three of first baseman, but yet Carlos Santana somehow is. Uh, and the only guy was Tommy Edmond as the utility. And of course the blue or the uh, Cardinals had that last season with Brendan Donovan winning the gold glove as the utility player. And Tommy Edmond gets this now. Look, the, the biggest nugget, which it sounds like captain obvious here, T-bone. It was a reminder that if the Cardinals want to be successful next season, it's going to start on defense. And if you only have one guy who's a utility nominee, which is a good award to be up for, especially Tommy Evans for how much you needed that. But if that's your only guy that's in the conversation for gold gloves or even winning gold gloves, you've got a problem with your team. And that's not how the Cardinals frame their roster. Yeah, the Cardinals are a team that is going to should always be kind of defense oriented. And by that, I mean, they need to have like three guys up for a gold glove. Typically, um, I looking at this team. They need to 
the defense is the one thing, like, of everything that they're going to be able to do on the outside, adding starting pitching, adding the bullpen, the one thing that has to improve internally 100% is defense. Yeah. And I, I think you're going to see that next year. I, I think all the stuff that went haywire early on in the year, like Arnado's defensive run saves being terrible at the very beginning of the year, I think he was hurt. Because I, I think when you saw he was healthy this year at times, you saw his defense yeah. was at the level you expect. I think the numbers are never too kind to Paul Goldschmidt. I don't think he had a bad defensive year, honestly. Well, they must not do well for first baseman if Carlos Santana's yeah, up for that award. This is why this is why I hate gold gloves, <laughs> just so we're clear. Good to know. Marcelo Zuna, who climbed a wall, won a gold glove. Remember that, folks. Yeah. But I, I think this is the one thing that you can just definitely say. Internally, what has to be better for the St. Louis Cardinals? The defense needs to take this next step next year. It needs to get back to the level it had been in the previous years because when they weren't good defensively, and it's not the one reason that they missed the playoffs. There was a lot. It it, it weighs a lot on this pitching staff. And even though they are going to go get swing and miss this offseason, or they should be getting swing and miss this offseason, takes a little bit of that away from the defense. You're seeing it in the playoffs, man. Look at the Philadelphia Phillies. They're playing great defensively. Look yeah. at Houston and look at Texas. They've been great defensively. You've got to be a good defensive team if you're going to go on a deep playoff run. And that is the thing that the one thing they can control internally is they just got to get the defense back on par next year. Look, we start and all of the conversations start with pitching when you talk about the Cardinals getting back into the postseason. But the other piece on this is the defense. I, frankly, every season with this roster in place, the Cardinals should have three guys at minimum, three guys up for a gold glove award. It's Nolan Arenado, it's Paul Goldschmidt, and it's one of Tommy Edmond or Brendan Donovan as that utility guy. And then if you want to toss in Mason win, great. That conversation can be had. The other area for this too, is the Cardinals need somebody to step up as the outfield gold glove. And I don't know if that means Tommy Edmond becomes this for the team, because look, you get a utility. He's, he won it at shortstop, correct? Yes. Or he was a nominee for it. No, he won it at shortstop. So you win it at shortstop. You got a utility award. And look, it does seem like the Cardinals are leaning towards him being a center fielder. So maybe he gets that gold glove conversation or a nominee for it. But if one of him, if he's out there, Lars Newtbar or Jordan Walker doesn't step up to get that gold glove, I still think you're in a bad spot. Because as much as we can talk about defense up the middle and you look great with uh, Mason Wynn and if it's Nolan Gorman or Brendan Donovan at second base and you've got the corners locked down, you got to have somebody in the outfield who can make big plays for you. And as we saw last season, there wasn't one of them other than Tommy Edmond occasionally. Yeah, you need someone that can make those big plays. And we talked about it. Like when that. Uh when Michael Harris made that play in the yeah. outfield for the Braves, who's the guy that makes that play in we the outfield? We texted immediately the with each other. Yeah. They they and it's not so much gold gloves for me as how I'm gonna be judging the standard. I know that's like the thing that everybody points to. Oh, they had five gold glovers a couple years ago. They won the team gold glove. Again, Marcelo Zuno won a gold glove. The gold glove means nothing. The right. defense even the defensive metrics, as much as I like the numbers, the defensive numbers don't always tell a great story. It's just, does the eye test look better? Right. I mean, this year, you could tell they didn't look good defensively. When Arnado wasn't healthy, you could tell it just looked off. You could tell outfield defensive-wise, Walker was bad out there in right field. And you understand that because he's learning on the fly at the big league level. To me, it is not so much about, do they get, get three guys that are going to win awards? Do they have this amount of guys that end up winning gold gloves? It is more about guys of, hey, does the eye test fit the test that this St. Louis Cardinals team has improved defensively. Well, and that eye test is really going to make somewhat of a difference, I would imagine, when you're looking at the roster, when they take the field that first season, um, when the defense actually looks like it's taken that step forward. Hey! Hey! What's going on? Big hey, ladies and gentlemen. He is back. Kind of. As they say, better than ever. I wouldn't go that far. 
Why not, man? Yeah. My contact broke <laughs> as I was in the car. Oh. <laughs> you know, my alarm was set for 9 a.m. And it was actually set for 9 p.m. Oh, yeah. Hate to see oh, that. man. Been there, done that man. one before. What a day. It has been a more. I, I was up at 7 a.m. I got all my stuff done. I was ready to go. I got baby boy ready. I made myself breakfast. I, we were ready. We had coffee going. Everything was ready to go for the day. And I was like, you know what? I got like 30 minutes. I can go ahead and lay back down. I'll get in 945-ish. I've got everything already done, so I don't need to do a whole lot whenever I get in this morning. I'll be fine. No problem. No harm, no foul, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's how so it goes. I lay down. I'm like, all right, this is going to be great. Get a 30-minute nap. Me and my wife, long night last night. Luke is going through a little bit of sleep progression right now. It's like, let's get a little bit of sleep before we head into work for the day. Love it. Well, one thing leads to another. Kara turns over at uh, 1040, says, Brandon, it's 1040. I said, no, it's not. That's not possible. I set the alarm. We're good to go. Look over. I'll be damned. It was 1040. You guys called me. At uh, 10.30, I believe it was. That was about the time we panicked. Yeah, yeah that was well, the time that I we, probably we, should have as well. We asked the question, what time do we panic? And I yeah. said, eh, 10, 10.30 is probably yeah. good. Yeah. If I'm not here by 10.15, it's time to panic. Oh. Uh, yeah. All right, All right, well, that's, now that's, he's that's scolding us. Well, yeah, we'll <laughs> no, 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 this is not on you guys. This is on me. Um, I... I, I have my phone on vibrate, as you guys know, at all times. I never turn it See, on that's ringer. that's a mistake. Yeah, it was. We, we got to improve. It was a mistake earlier today. Come on, man. So, yeah, uh, I'm incredibly sorry. I could barely see right now. Uh, nice. Um, nice. Because <laughs> I don't have contacts in. Uh, it is it is incredibly embarrassing. It is humbling, and it sucks. Well, we're just glad that. defense was pretty similar this year to how wow, I feel nice. right about now. Nice yeah. transition. We're just glad that yoga didn't kick your ass. Nope. That's no, what we were no, worried no, about. No, there's no fun that story on this. That was what my money was on. There's no fun story. It's just uh, I me thought, being an idiot. I, yeah, I you know you told us you weren't going to be doing your physical therapy no. yesterday. I thought maybe because you didn't do it, you couldn't get out of bed today, no, no, or they no, came no. and broke your kneecaps. No, yeah. I mean that would have been totally reasonable. <laughs> would have been reasonable for you guys to come break my kneecaps as well. Yeah. Whatever the case, oh, would have been fair. No, man, we're not going to do that to you. You guys watching these playoffs right now? You guys watching the defense that's taking place? Yeah, yeah. We just said Cardinals need to have at minimum three Gold Glove uh, nominees next season. I think it's pretty simple. You got to get Arenado back on track. Like, that's it. If you could have one thing defensively that ends up changing next year, it's Nolan Arenado getting back on track. And if you could add a second, if we're being greedy, figure out uh, center field, man. If you can get those two things, I think this team's going to be fine defensively. They just got to make sure that they have those two things in place, especially with Mason Wynn now as your shortstop. Yeah, well, somebody asked, too, on the Air Comfort Service text line, 314-399-9646. B can't, can't see it because he doesn't have an eye right now. But they <laughs> asked. They, they asked. Can't have one contact in her. I don't brain. understand how the defense fell off so significantly. I think T-Bone told you how. The injuries, I mean, Nolan Arenado wasn't right at the beginning of the season. O'Neal wasn't there in the O'Neal was not playing in left. Dylan Carlson was in and out, who could have been a defensive upgrade for you. Lars Newpar was injured in the first portion of the season. And Jordan Walker wasn't great. Your shortstop was back and forth. You had Paul DeYoung some days and Tommy Edmond some days. And your catcher wasn't great. The positions you expected to be gold gloves, they were either injured or not playing. And then the guys that you were hoping could be gold glove nominees stunk. That's where I'm at. It's That's like, where it is. I don't understand why people make this into a coaching issue sometimes. Now, there are issues with coaching. I, I think in Philly last year, 
there were issues with coaching in terms of where they were utilizing their personnel. I don't think that was the case this year for the Cardinals. Like, if you guys want to take it up with Willie McGee that he's not coaching well enough in the outfield, by all means, go ahead. I'm not going to be the one that does that. I think Willie McGee's pretty good at his job, yeah, personally. I'm not going to bring it up to a checks notes Hall of Fame outfielder. <laughs> yeah, I think he's doing all right. Like, I view Willie with outfielders kind of the way that I would view Yachty with catchers next year. Oh my, if he's coaching the year? catchers and it goes poorly for Wilson Contreras, I'm just going to say it's probably not going to work out for Wilson Contreras as a defensive-minded catcher. Now, we can decide what that means in terms of his role, but that's kind of how I feel about it. Jordan Walker was completely unprepared to play the outfield this year. Now, I think you can blame the organization for waiting as long as they did to move him to the outfield if you want to, and you want to criticize them for that. That's totally fair. I don't think they ever had a center fielder, like a legit center fielder, until Tommy Edmond was playing out there later on in the season. I think the infield defense, most of those issues were related to Nolan Arenado not being as good as he has been in previous seasons. We talked about it on the show. First half of the year, he was just flat out bad defensively. Like not relative to his own expectations, relative to the average third baseman. He was still trying to be the player that he was defensively previously, but he didn't have the arm because he has dead arm and he didn't have the range because his back was locking up on him. So those things I think all accumulated to them being a really bad defense. And really most of this came from the outfield. They gave up so many extra base hits in the outfield this year because their defenders weren't in the correct place or weren't capable of getting to the correct places. Yeah, I think when you look at this team next year, assuming health for Arnado, you got a gold glove caliber third baseman. I still think he had a gold glove caliber first baseman this year in Paul Goldschmidt. I didn't think the eye test showed that he had a bad year. Anybody can be a gold glover if Carlos Santana's getting that yeah, award. That's why this award sucks. Uh, Mason Wynn is a gold glove caliber shortstop. I, I, I know people don't like Gorman at second base, but he's average at second base. So, yeah. like, if you have one average spot in the infield, you're set. Defensively, Lars Newport, I think he could probably be a gold glover in a corner. And I expect he's probably going to be in right field next year. I don't know what left's going to be, but if Edmonton, or excuse me, he'll be in left field next year. Yeah. Walker in right, in right field. If if Walker just gets to average, you've got a good spot there. And then as you saw, though I question Tommy Edmonds' arm in center field, and that's part of the reason I wouldn't want him starting every day in center field. I know that guy's going to close the gap and catch a bunch of balls that, as you saw this year, the Cardinals outfield could not. Do you guys want to talk about NFL quick hitters yet next, or do you want to talk about who's going to start in net? It's a dealer's choice. This is on me. Mm. Well, let's rephrase the way that we talk about who's going to start in net. We could talk about Alex being right. Yeah. Nailed no, I'd rather do quick hitters then. <laughs> let's talk about who's going to start in net for the oh, Blues tonight. Alongside he's Alex gone. Carrillo, he shows Tanner up and tells you what we're doing. Like your I'm sorry for being a little bit late today. That is on me. Nobody mustache. else. I'm incredibly <laughs> embarrassed. Um, it is not a good way to start the day, to say the least. Coming up next, looks like Joel Hofer is going to start in net for the Blues tonight. How come? We'll talk about it next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Tanner Hendrickson and I'm Brandon Kylie. You've got BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. It's good to be back together with the boys. Oh, you're back in studio. You're on the show. Gosh. Uh, let's get into the Blues who are back in action I tonight. Ferrari I can't see our board from TNA. here, but I'm pretty sure Alex has pregame coverage for you <laughs> starting at 6 o'clock. Tanner! Puck drop tonight between the Blues <laughs> and the Arizona Coyotes coming up at 7. Alex, it looks like it's going to be Joel Hofer getting the start in net tonight. Now, I will... I will... Uh, Take a knee at the altar of Alex Ferrario? No, man, I, I don't want to say I do. Oh, um, no, that's fair. <laughs> You're by yourself, man. 
You said you thought this could happen, and I said that's ridiculous. Don't be, don't be silly. I, I believe You've you got, said that you don't know hockey. That was <laughs> yeah, the statement. You don't know puck. And <laughs> when you that. look at the way that Jordan Bennington has been performing so far this year, I thought they'd just stick with him. It's been five days since his last start. I mean, it's not like he's been overworked early on in the year. You're what? two games into this thing, despite playing for a week already. That's a lot of games. I would have stuck with Binner. I, I just that's my guy. He's looked great. I want to see him out there once again. Whoa. I obviously don't know Puck though. You clearly do. <laughs> Why are they going with Hofer tonight in your mind? It's because you want some reps for the backup. Like, look, I think right now, if Hofer's starting tonight, you're going to get Bennington on Saturday against Pittsburgh. You'll get Bennington against Winnipeg on Tuesday next week, and Binner will probably go against Calgary with Hofer getting Vancouver. The reason that you're playing Hofer tonight and not Bennington is because if Bennington plays this one, and let's say he plays well, you're going to play him against Pittsburgh again. And then you're probably waiting until the Winnipeg Jets game to get a game for Holfer. And I don't know if they want him sitting that long. This is more about, look, we've played two games in a matter of what? 13 days. We got to get some reps for our backup goaltender so that at least he feels fresh. And this is an ideal matchup. I would imagine for Joel Holfer taking on an Arizona Coyotes team. That's fast. He moves the puck. Well, this is more about making sure that Joel Hofer gets his legs underneath him since he hasn't played since I got to imagine it was either October 5th or 2nd in one of those preseason games more than it's about, oh, well, Bennington needs a day off. Yeah, And I think, too, because this year they want to get more time off for Bennington. They don't want it to be like last year where it was essentially, yeah, you'll see Grice on back to backs. You want to get you want to get your backup more playing time. And though like it has been four days off for the St. Louis Blues, it does kind of make sense to make sure that he gets in, see if he can find a little bit of rhythm. And then maybe I don't want to say you start start alternating games, but maybe maybe you go Bennington two games and then that next game is definitely Hofer because they don't want it to be like last year where it was basically riding with Jordan Bennington. I think they want to see if Hofer can take some of that load off of him so it makes sense to get him in between the pipes tonight. And Barubi just said that, too, with the media. He said, we're trying to get him in there. We've had a lot of time off. We want to get him going. We need both goaltenders, and it's a good opportunity for him tonight. I can speak puck, too. You don't know puck, either. Hofer only played one period against the Chicago Blackhawks. The last time he played a full game was the first game in October of preseason. So that's almost three weeks. So I'm not going to make a big deal out of this because he was either going to start tonight or on Saturday. Like It was one of those two games, so I, I don't really care which one it was. I'm a little surprised that he's going tonight. I'll be totally honest with you guys, because now, I mean, you're going to have a week off between Bennington starts, and this is just a product of the schedule. There's nothing that the Blues can do about it. I, I hate the way that they schedule this early part of the season. Like, if you can have five days off between games so early stupid. on in October, could we just, you know ease the schedule in the middle of it when you've got a bunch of back-to-backs but neither here nor there um i i think i would have rather seen bennington tonight just because he's been playing so well i i want to ride the hot hand a little bit there but hey burby certainly knows his team better than we do um he i i trust that he's got the right gauge on how to go about this stuff and i mean pittsburgh's got some pretty good goal scores from what i understand so maybe you you just said hey between arizona and pittsburgh who do we need bennington in net for more may i said hey Pittsburgh's the one that we think we need for for him. So I get it to a degree. I'm just a little surprised by it this early on in the season. Not a huge deal one way or the other. No, it really isn't. I mean, you could have gone either way with this one. I just really think you want to make sure Joel Hofer's fresh because you figure he's playing another game next week with a set of back-to-backs. And then if you look at the month of November, they've got three sets of back-to-backs and three games in four days a couple of times. So Hofer's going to be playing a lot more, probably once a week, I would imagine. 
And that's why you want to make sure he's good to go rather than he's, he's off for three and a half weeks. He plays on Saturday. He looks awful on Saturday. And then the confidence is at an all-time low. And it is probably worth noting. Now, this is a small piece of the puzzle, but kind of like in baseball where you look at what the teams have done against a specific pitcher in previous years. Better didn't exactly have great games last season against Arizona. Against Arizona, he allowed five goals and he allowed six goals. And those came on 55 shots in, in, in total. So 55 shots, 11 goals against. It's certainly not what you want by your starting goalie. So maybe they're saying, hey, struggled against this team a little bit last year. Maybe they've got a little something on him. And let's go to the backup to get him going. Like Nothing more, nothing less. That's kind of where you're at with it. Um, We'll ask this of Joey Vitale coming up next. What does he make of the decision to go with Joel Hofer? What does he want to see from Joel Hofer tonight? It's the beginning of the season, his first year as a legit uh, backup goalie in the NHL. We'll talk to Joe about that and how they get this power play going. That's coming up next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Joey Vitale views things a little differently. Just imagine how he looks at hockey. This is The View from Vitale, brought to you by Scott Lee Heating Company, a proud Mitsubishi Electric Elite contractor. ESPN hotline to be joined by our friend, the Blues analyst for 101 ESPN and Bally Sports Midwest this year. He's Joey Vitale joining us here ahead of Blues versus Coyotes. Joe, how you doing, my man? Joey, Joey, Joey. Ah, Doing great. Doing great, fellas. Doing great this morning. How are you? Uh, doing really well. So, Joe, let's start with the, the big decision that the Blues made earlier today. Joe Hofer going to be in net tonight against the Coyotes. What'd you make of that? I think it's a great decision, you know, for, for many reasons. I mean, listen, you know, Craig Brewery talked about we got to get him in there. What does he mean by that? Well, he means that I think the last time he saw a game action was October 7th, if I'm not mistaken, against the Chicago Blackhawks. And he only came in for, I believe, one period. And he didn't face a lot of shots. I think he only faced maybe two or three shots in that final, that final period against the Chicago Blackhawks. So if you look at using a backup, tradition in a traditional sense of where you want to use them in a back-to-back situation and kind of only that well if you play october 7th for one period and you look at the first back-to-back situation where you're going to lean on a backup that would be the calgary van and that doesn't happen until next week and guys it's almost three weeks if you were to wait for that first back-to-back almost three weeks would have gone by between when joel hofer played that period against the blackhawks and ultimately either against the calgary flames or the vancouver canucks so Craig Bruby looked at the schedule. It is what it is. It always starts out relatively slow for St. Louis with these big gaps like we just saw. So you got to figure out a way to get your goaltender in there, who you're going to lean on a lot this year. I think it's a great decision to get him in there. I think you get him in there against a team that Jordan Bennington has actually had struggling numbers against in the Arizona Coyotes. I was talking to Bill Armstrong this morning, of course, the GM for Arizona. We were actually laughing about that seven-game series a couple of years ago where the Coyotes couldn't really leave town because of the COVID <laughs> kind of mess. But, uh, listen, the Coyotes saw a lot of Jordan Bennington, and, and Jordan Bennington saw a lot of the Coyotes. So what a cool opportunity for Joe Hofer to come in against a team he's not familiar with. But more importantly, guys, a team that is not familiar with him. A bigger goalie moves very well. So against a struggling Coyotes team that's trying to get above 500 early in their, in their season, uh, but go up against a big goalie they haven't seen very much, 
So I think it's a great decision all around. Joe, does this tell you that this season is going to be more of like a a 55-45 split with these goaltenders? Because last season, Thomas Grice wouldn't be playing in this game. It probably would have been Jordan Bennington once again. Well, yeah, I mean, this is where the luxury of having a Joel Hofer uh, compared to maybe an older goaltender like a Thomas Grice. You know, I had Thomas Volkun in Pittsburgh. These older goalies that, you know, there's two different – I guess mindsets when you talk about goaltender situations in the league, you have this kind of bona fide number one, and then you have this old kind of wiser number two. And that's where the Blues went last year, having an older Thomas Grice. But Jordan Bennington was the guy. Everyone knew that. You know, this this year is very similar to what they had a few years ago with Billy Huso, where you have a 1A and a 1B, let's call it. And I think that that, that certainly is when you have a Joel Hofer type, you, you want to use that. How, how do we lean on that? You have to get them more games. The reality is this. One of the biggest things the Blues did poorly of last year, and not, not their own fault, just the way it panned out because of Thomas Grice's play, they had to overuse Jordan Bennington. They had big, big stretches in, in January and February where they were nipping and clawing and trying to get themselves in a better spot. And games like tonight where, like you say, Alex, instead of going with the backup, you had to go with your starter because you really need these points. And you had, you had more confidence in your starter than, let's call it, your B goalie. But this year is going to be a little differently. I think with the caliber of a goaltender that Joel Hofer is, absolutely, maybe a 60-40 split. You get him 30 games, and maybe Bennington goes you know, 51-52. Last year, Bennington was the third most, uh, had third most games of any goaltender right behind Ottinger and Connor Hellebuck. I think he, I think he pushed mid-50s. That, that's too much for him. Some goalies maybe can take it. I think they realized last year that Bennington, his sweet spot's going to be around 50. Get him 50 games, maybe get a good backup 30, 30 plus. And that's certainly going to be the case this year because when Bennington was overused, he got overly tired. You know, he's not an overly big, strong goaltender. He's more of a slender build. I think his legs, they're they're worried about his legs getting too exhausted uh, like they did last year. So you're bringing Hofer and you're bringing a good good goaltender like Hofer, get him games and, and start early and start often. Uh, like I said, uh, getting back to the amount of time gone by, if you don't get him in one of these next couple games, it'd be three weeks before that first back-to-back. So wonderful opportunity for them to set the tone early in the season, saying we're, we're not only going to use our backup to give Jordan Bennington rest, but we're going to use our backup because he's just that good. He's going to win us some hockey games. Joey Vitale is our guest here on 101 ESPN. You can hear him on the call tonight with Chris Kerber. That starts at 7 o'clock. You can also hear him on pregame coverage with Alex beginning at 6. Your home of the Blues is 101 ESPN. Joe, normally if I was asking you about Tory Krug on a special teams unit, I'd be talking about the power play. But so far this year, in the first two games, he spent three and a half minutes on the penalty kill. That's just 30 seconds less than what he spent on the PK the entirety of last season. What have you seen from him so far on that unit? And what do you make of the Blues going with him on the PK over guys like Marco Scandella and Tyler Tucker? Well, listen, I think that you look at a Tory Krug under Mike Weber, and, and Tory Krug is, is, a, is a player to me that has had a complete 180 uh, as far as his disposition, his attitude, his approach to his preparation of games now. Um, not to say he was unprepared last year. I think he was as prepared, and he's always had that competitive nature. But there's just another level to him right now. And I've noticed it in preseason, you know, going back about a month ago, running into him at the rink. Uh, he's one of those players that he's so good about just, you know, small talking and, and making light of a joke or just something to kind of throw me off a little bit. And, 
And, and it's just been very businesslike for him. I mean, it's been so businesslike where he almost looks to me like he's a rookie and he's trying to make this team and he's trying to sustain himself for a long time in the NHL and he's looking for a contract. You would never think that this guy has, a, has the, the comfort cushion of a long-term deal like he's currently in right now. He, you just wouldn't think it based off of how he has been presenting himself and the approach he's had to every single game and just his overall serious business-like attitude. So I say that because, you know, BK, I think that Mike Weber and Craig Bruby have seen that in camp. I think they've seen it in practice. And they're like, you know what? This kid's coming in determined. This kid's got a chip on his shoulder, rightfully so. He's got a lot to prove, which is a good place to be if you're a hockey player. You know, I know what happened to him this summer. It's not ideal. No one wants to go through that. But I think down the road, he's going to look back on this summer and Tory Cruz going to say, probably that's the best thing to happen to me. Because at the end of the day, you realize you're not as safe as you think you are, even though you do get a long-term deal. And you realize every year you still have a lot to prove. It's the greatest league in the world, and you can never, ever get comfortable. And that's the worst place you can be. And I think it was a bit of a shot to him this summer. But with that being said, I think he's looking at this thing now as a positive. This has really got him going in the right direction. And I think Mike Weber has seen that, and they've seen the competitiveness. They've seen his giddy-up. And like, you know what? Let's use him on the PK. He's closing plays quickly. He's ending plays. He's making that good first pass. He's terrific as far as clearing pucks. Ever watch him play a game? Yeah. Whenever he has to make a clear where the puck is on the end wall, much like Alex Petrangelo was so good at, he can pick that puck off the end, that yellow dasher, better than anyone on, the, on this team. And he can get a good 200-foot clear aerial over everyone's head. So with those intangibles along with the attitude, uh, to me it's a no-brainer why you want to use him not only on five-on-five power play, but certainly on the penalty kill as well. Joe, final one from me. Does this feel like an opportunity for the offense to kind of have a coming out party? Because it's an Arizona Coyotes team, although good on the offensive side, defensively, they've allowed, I think it's an average of about 33 shots per game and their power play or their penalty kill, I should say, is third worst in the NHL. Well, this is going to be a good test for them, Alex, because I said this the other day, I believe I was talking to Randy about it. You know, this is going to be a test because tonight, you're going to have the opportunity to get off the game plan a little bit based off of how you've grabbed three out of the first four points playing that hard, just stifling defensive style. This is a game. If you're a player, you're playing the coyotes, a team struggling, a team in between a team retooling, just like you, you know, do you get off the page? Do you get away from what's made you so successful up to this point in the season? And do you think goals, do you think points, do you think offense, you know, it's got to be. It, this is going to be the biggest test of their year because can they stay disciplined with how they've won and achieved points so far early in the season? Because, like you said, this is a game where you might think points, you may think goals. If I'm Braden Shen, I haven't got a goal in the year yet, and maybe it's tonight. If you're Robert Thomas, I want to get on the board. Right? You got to be careful. As much as you want to be greedy, and you got to let these players play offense. If you if you play a certain way and you forget about defense, this can turn into a track meet. I'd say one thing, the Arizona Coyotes can hurt you in transition. They can hurt you when uh, coming into the zone, three-on-twos, two-on-ones, if you get to find that sloppy game like they did in stretches last year. Uh, I said it from the beginning, I mean it. This team, is they know how to have success. They know the formula. It has to be hard defensively. It's got to be exactly what we've seen in the first two games. The big question mark is, do they have the leadership? Do they have the veterans to keep everyone accountable to do it night in and night out? That's going to be the biggest challenge because you look around the league and you're going to see the Edmonton Oilers beating up on the Nashville Predators 6-2 or whatever the game was. And you're looking at the Colorado Everlands, you know, blowing out the Seattle Kraken. You're starting to see that, and it's going to be very important for the team to stay disciplined 
is that this is their formula, and their formula is going to be winning a lot of low-scoring games. And the leadership, and the, and the especially the offensive guys, have to be okay with that. They just have to. Joey Vitale, you'll hear him on the call tonight with Chris Kerber. You'll also hear him on the pregame coverage for Blues versus Coyotes. That begins at 6 o'clock with Joe and Alex. Joe, we appreciate the time as always, man. Enjoy the game tonight. We'll talk with you again soon. It sounds good, but you guys have a great week. Joey Joey Vitale joining us as he does each and every Thursday here on BK and Ferrario. Always appreciate his time. Alex, I really find it interesting that they're going with Tory Krug on the penalty kill this year. I'm not... I'm not suggesting that it's a bad decision. So far, the PK has been really good. Mm-hmm. And uh, Tory Krug's been a big piece of that. But if you had told me before the season, hey, which defensemen are going to be involved with the PK out of the top six that they have available? I think Tory Krug would have been the last choice that I had thrown into the nomination. Like he would have been for me the longest odds of getting significant playing time on the penalty kill this year. And yeah. now he's he's one of the top four guys. And I. I think it makes sense that he is. First of all, he's being paid like somebody who plays in all scenarios, and so he should play in all scenarios. And it, the thing about it is he's not bad or ever been a liability on the penalty kill. He's frankly what people have been asking so much for from defensemen in terms of being physical. Like, Tory Krug is that guy. His biggest issue is being five foot nine and 194 pounds. But here's the thing. Man on man, that's a lot more difficult to play as a defenseman of his size. Zone? It works a lot easier in terms of all you're doing is protecting your spot. You don't have to outmuscle the individual. You've got to make sure your stick's in the right place. And the thing about Tory Krug is he's always been good at that. But it's not something he's ever been asked to do. No, like because they've never needed career, him to. He's averaged 18 seconds per game on the penalty kill. He's played in 700 career games. He's averaging eight or 18 seconds per game. Like he's, he, This is not something that, whether it was the Bruins or here in St. Louis previously, they've asked him to be a part of. And now we're seeing, okay, he's capable of this. Mm -hmm. I do find it interesting that he's the guy that's getting those opportunities. Like, I understand he's been paid this way, Alex, but I thought one of the reasons why you keep Marco Scandella is because of his ability to help you on the penalty kill. One of the reasons why you want Tyler Tucker in the lineup is because of his ability to potentially help you on the penalty kill. Now, maybe this is just as simple as, hey, Krug's been around. He knows what we're asking for for, from him on the penalty kill, and we want Tyler Tucker to kind of just get comfortable being yeah. in the lineup on a night-to-night basis without having too many responsibilities. But uh, it's something that has surprised me, and it, it's also surprised me how well he's done I, on I, so far. I, some of this, too, is, I mean, look, he's got five blocked shots so far this season. So he's, like, buying into what the team is asking him to do because that's the main emphasis of zone is you're going to have to get in front of pucks, and he's doing that. The thing about this, too, is if if he's playing the penalty kill, you've got six defensemen who can play penalty kill for you. Now you probably use Tyler Tucker at the minimum, just because, you know, he's playing on his offside. They're playing on the right side and you're still trying to just get him accustomed to five on five play for a full season. But if you've got five other guys that you could throw out there with Tory Krug, like the number one penalty kill unit's going to be Pareko and Letty sure. or Pareko and Scandella. But then if you've got Falk and Krug who are familiar with each other, you could throw them out there and then add in that fifth guy. It's how you keep everybody fresh, especially if you're taking four or five penalties in one game. Yeah, so far, Pareko uh, leads the team in defensemen uh, minutes there, and um, Krug is, is getting like the third or fourth most ice time so far on the PK. It'll be interesting to see if that is a trend that continues as we get deeper on into the season. With Alex Ferrario and Tater Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. Coming up next, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. 
You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe. It's BK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. T-Bone on BK, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers. Let's start with this from the 314. Guys, I saw the news that Ryan Wingo has officially moved up his commitment date. He's going to be committing somewhere next week. It sounds like that is going to be Missouri. What do you think about the Tigers getting Ryan Wingo? Alex, did you see this? I saw it. Five-star wide receiver from SLU, one of the best players in the country, certainly one of the best players in the area. All indications are the young man will be selecting the University of Missouri to continue his career in Columbia. He will be joining Luther Burden and Brady Cook Mm. next year on campus. Theo Weiss has another year of eligibility. I believe Mookie Cooper has another year of eligibility. Oh, buddy. Sounds like a gas now. Sounds like an SEC championship in my future. It's what that sounds like. It's huge. First time Mizzou's ever had two five-star commits in the same recruiting class. It's huge. The only other teams in the SEC, Alex, with two five-star commits for next year are Alabama and Georgia. Playing with the big boys. That's what this signifies. It's huge also with the playmakers that you have. Like, if you've got Wingo and Burden on top of having Brady Cook, like, we're already seeing the, the fruits of the labor that is what Luther Burden has gone through and now with Brady Cook, and now you're going to throw in Ryan Wingo into all of this and potentially more on the offensive side. I mean, they're just leaning harder into what's making them a top 25-ranked football team this season, and that's offense, and now you're just going to get better with it. Yeah, and Wingo's a hell of a player. I've seen him in person once. That, that guy can fly, and he is a great playmaker once he's he gets in space. Too. Too. Like he's He's, he's a big boy. Um, I... I mean, good from the University of Missouri. I mean, like, where's the defense recruiting, though, Drink? Like, that's our one fair question. It sounds I mean, they like have we're. five star defensive end committed, so I'd, I'd oh, say that's pretty well, good. Okay. Oh, swing! Like a top five player in yeah. the country. What right do you got to say, Mr. Four Star <laughs> Punter? We got a four star defensive edge on campus. It's either this weekend or next week. Yeah, don't worry. He'll be at He'll Missouri, come to Mizzou <laughs> next. Drink's got him. Why would he ever want to go there? That's. Eh. Dollar, 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 dollar bill, y'all. He ain't wrong. Yeah. All right, three one four three nine 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 six four six is the Air Comfort <laughs> Service text line from the three one four guys. Who would say no in this hypothetical trade scenario? Tyler O'Neill, the other team, parentheses, and other stuff. For Shane Bieber, Cleveland has young starting pitchers. They need help uh, with the hitting side of things. Bieber has one year before free agency. Value is probably pretty low right now, off of a down season. Could be a really solid number two or three starter instead of overpaying for Sonny Gray. Listen to what you just. said said a solid two or three starter for a guy who didn't play last season. Cleveland doesn't want any of that. So yeah. no, it's not happening. I think Cleveland's one that says no. The best you're going to get for Tyler O'Neill. Do you guys have interest in Shane Bieber? No. No. I think, I think there are. Cause that's where I was kind of coming out. There almost. are bigger fish out there that can be the type of pitcher you're wanting from Shane Bieber. Yeah. I would be okay with Bieber if he is the third pitcher that you add. Because now you've got serious upside that's baked into the projection. It's a one-year contract, and you hope that maybe he's able to reclaim some of what he used to be. Um, but in a worst-case scenario, like he's a really solid number three or four starter for you. You know, He's going to go out there and eat innings for you the way that he has for his entire career so long as he's healthy. So I, I don't mind the addition. I don't know how to value him, though. Like, would you give up Alec Burleson for Shane Bieber? I know that sounds crazy because we've got this idea of what Shane Bieber is in our minds, but he's on a one-year deal worth roughly $12 million is the projection for him in arbitration. Is that something you would consider if you were the Cardinals? No. I mean, he's got too much control. I'm not giving up that much control on Burleson for Shane Bieber. And a guy that was hurt this past year, too. I, I don't really know what you give up if you're the Cardinals. Like, 
I like O'Neal. Like in theory, makes sense that the Cardinals would give up, but Cleveland's not going to take him. Would they? Would they be willing to listen to like putting Carlson in the package? Like I don't see a role for Carlson on this Problem team. Problem is he's not really what they need. It, like yeah. the the Guardians have a lot of guys kind of similar to to Carlson. I, I don't really know. Like, would you consider trading Sajacy for him? I would think that you could put Sajacy in more of a package and get something better. I, I think, think Sajacy so and Burleson could get you something better than Shane Bieber that has more years of control. Yeah. I don't think Tyler O'Neill's a crazy ask. I, I, I think, think that might actually be the move. I don't think Cleveland wants that. Yeah. Why would you give up a guy who can benefit you one year for a guy who's not even going to be a part of your team? Because O'Neill might be exactly what they're looking for. Like you're betting on upside there and they have a lot of pitching. It's kind of the opposite of what we're talking about for the Cardinals where they have a ton of position players and they need the pitching side of things. Listen, man, if you're a different team, you can convince yourself of what Tyler O'Neill can be in a contract year. I think the best it's you're going to get for Tyler O'Neill is a double A or triple A arm. Yeah, I think that's the best you're going to get for him. I think you're probably right, but... He's the kind of guy that I would be interested in here. So, so JC would be like if you could do so JC and McGreevy for uh, a guy like Shane Bieber, I, I I could think about that. I think I'd scour the market to see what I could get for JC. But if if it's not what I feel like I need, which is somebody who can be like a, a one, two or a three, which I know it's the JC's not getting a one or a two, but that's when I'd look towards the Donovan side of it. That if like, OK, if I'm going to need. If I'm going to get a better return for Donovan, then Sajacy's going to be my fill-in for a Donovan. Is it, is, it is an interesting thought, though. Like, instead of going out and spending $10 million on one of the guys that we've talked about in free agency, do you just send one of these guys that we're referencing here? Carlson, um, Burleson, Sajacy, that that level of player, kind of the ancillary position pieces. Do you send one of those guys somewhere else for maybe an expiring deal or somebody that has a little bit of upside? Pro- the problem with Bieber, because, like, an expiring deal, a guy that has swing and miss, like, I could totally see where they do that and try that problem with Bieber like the swing and miss stuff is continuing to trend downward I mean his strikeout per nine this year was 7.5 well, what if you career. add Dylan C Sonny Gray and Shane Bieber I I think you I don't think you should be looking for another contact pitcher is what I would be saying I would say I think you need guys that have swing and miss and I I'm very fearful like sure he profiles high and maybe the swing and miss comes back but I am kind of worried that it doesn't and then I give up some decent pieces to go get a rental. And I don't want to do that. And, like, I, I think there's better options right now that you could just sign for $10 million. Like, like I, I would I would have more interest in a Paxton over a— Paxton um, never pitches, though, man. I mean, Shane Bieber's been dealing with injuries this year, and he's been hurt prior. 2021, he dealt with injuries Shane as well. Shane Bieber, though, if you look at the innings, like, what he did last year would be almost a career high for James Paxton. <laughs> but Paxton's got swing and miss. And, like, Paxton was in a Cy Young conversation when he was healthy yeah, when a couple his, years ago. His work. Years ago. But the same said about Bieber, though. Like, I understand that there's been more innings in recent years from Shane Bieber. But he's also dealt with injuries, too. Let's not overlook the injuries. The last time James Paxton pitched more than 100 innings in a season was 2019. It's it's been a while. I'm out on Paxton. He pitched 96 innings this year, and that was by far the best season that he's had since 2019. 20, 21, 22. He pitched a total of 23 innings. Like I, I like James Paxton as well. The idea of counting on James Paxton for anything meaningful next year is a pretty scary proposition. Because, like, the expectation should probably be 10 to 15 starts. He's like the dude that at the end of the offseason when spring training's coming and nobody assigned him, he'd be the guy that would be like, hey, 
you interested in over here because you got an opportunity to win a rotation job. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line from the 618. Guys, with all due respect, I think you're talking crazy pills right now. True. The Cardinals are absolutely not going to add three top-line starting pitchers. I agree, and that's why I think that Bieber is interesting is because right now he's not a top-line starting pitcher. I actually think there's a little more upside baked into Bieber than what T-Bone does. I think that's where our disagreement is a little bit, T-Bone, is he is a pitch-to-contact guy to a degree, less so than what Miles Michaelis is even this past season, but I think there's still the potential, if you can figure it out health-wise, for him to have more upside than what we are currently suggesting. I think that third arm, and it's not crazy to think this, that third arm that they add will have the potential to be a top line pitcher, but it's all going to reside on. Can he stay healthy? Uh, and I'm thinking the Tyler, the step, yeah, Tyler Glass now. I'm thinking um, uh, who we're just talking about, Shane Bieber. I'm thinking somebody who has that potential or has shown it in the past and you're trying to get it back. That's that risk versus reward move that they'll make. They're going to get the top two. And then that third one's going to be, hopefully we can get the best. See, I don't disagree with that, but I think if they're going to do that, they're going to look for a cost control arm that has the upside of doing that. Brian Wu, who we talk about. Uh, or it's going to be somebody who's Braxton been injured Garrett. and you're hoping that you could get like, him back the, to I health. I agree theoretically speaking, but it's also going to cost a lot more to get that guy. So in, like, if you were to trade for Dylan Cease, for example, you're giving up the assets that we're talking about for Dylan Cease. They're significant. I don't think you can do a Dylan Cease deal and a Brian Wu or a well, I, Edward Cabrera type. Yeah, of I agree. I was operating under the assumption it is let's spend money on the top two trade for the number five. I got you. That was my assumption in this conversation. There's a lot of different paths, man. As we talked about yesterday, there's multiple buckets that they've got to find a way to fill. And if you fill the first one with a trade, if you, that top-end starter, Dylan Cease, Logan Gilbert, whoever you deem to be the best option for that, if you fill that with a trade, I think it means you're probably signing your two and three. If you end up going money for your top-end guy, it opens up the trade for your two or three. It just every Whatever the top-end move is, it has a trickle-down effect of what the second and the third moves are for your rotation, most likely this offseason. Shane Bieber's an interesting name that I we haven't really thought about him a whole lot since July as a trade option for the Cardinals, but offhand, I kind of dismissed the idea of Tyler O'Neill for him. <clears throat> I know it sounds crazy from our perspective because we've seen the Tyler O'Neill experience. I don't think it's totally crazy to believe that that could be something that the uh, Guardians would be interested in. Coming up next, speaking of baseball, the Rangers are showing us the importance of pitching depth in a five-game series versus a seven-game series. Did they get a little too cute last night? We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. There's one, two pitch. Ground ball left side. Pena's got it to second one. On the first, there's two. And the Astros come to Arlington and take game three. Back on the road and back in the win column. Alongside Alex and T-Bone on BK, you got BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESP, and that's what it sounded like last night as the Rangers end up losing for the first time in this postseason. The Houston Astros go into T- Dallas and beat the Rangers. And Alex, I think we saw for the first time some potential cracks in what the Rangers are as a team. And I think those cracks are starting to show because of the lengthy series in a seven game series against a team like the Astros as opposed to what they've been able to do so far in the short series in the wild card round against Tampa and then in the DS against the Baltimore Orioles. They've basically been able to start 
Avaldi or Montgomery in every game but one so far this postseason. And when you've got those guys on the mound, man, your team looks really good. They get deep into games. You don't have to show the underbelly of your bullpen. Your offense is able to get a lead early and then you hold it late. Everything about the playoff formula kind of falls into place when Avaldi or Montgomery is on the mound. Here's the problem. In a seven-game series, you can't start those guys every game. In fact, there's going to be two games kind of here in the middle of this series where Houston is going to have a decided advantage when it comes to the pitching matchup between the two teams. Houston already has a better bullpen than what Texas has available to them. Now you go into the next game, Houston's going to have your quitty on the mound, and he's at least postseason experience-wise better than what the uh, Rangers have available to them. It sounds like they're going to go Andrew Heaney. Now, yesterday, I think they made an emotional decision. T-Bone, we talked about it on the show. I don't think they should have started Max Scherzer in that game because there's no way for you to possibly know what he's going to be able to have. And early on, you could see it quickly. He did not have his stuff. He had zero command. He ended up hitting um, Alvarez. Was that in the first or the second inning? Second inning, yeah. I mean, it was very clear very early on this is not going well for um, Max Scherzer. He also was getting hit hard. It's like 101 miles per hour was the average exit velo off of him in the first three innings of that game. I think the series flipped last night. And I think the reason why it flipped is because of the lack of the depth of pitching from the Rangers. If there's anything that we can learn here in St. Louis from that series, it is the importance of that depth, both in terms of your rotation and the bullpen. Yeah, and I, I, I really felt like what we saw last night was the exhibit a b and c of why you need to go after multiple guys that you feel comfortable with in the postseason because the problem and you just mentioned it that texas has is they've got two guys that they feel comfortable with and then beyond that it's like oh bleep what do we do and the bullpen looks shaky and i mean i know t-bone has talked so much about how the importance of a bullpen specifically like i look at the philadelphia phillies and what they've done in this postseason like when you don't have nolan wheeler you're able to utilize your bullpen and give them a full game that can get you and through Richard it Suarez has been really good so exactly far. so that's why like when i look at the the framework of a cardinals roster and what we've been talking about a nola a sunny gray and a miles michaelis those are three guys that in a seven game series i feel comfortable with and then we're talking about a steven matz and that fifth guy that you've added a zach thompson all of these other pieces as those secondary guys that you trust in a postseason whereas last night we saw chris stratton fall apart for texas it was john gray that gave up a run in like one and a third innings for them once you get past those top dogs, you don't have anybody else you can trust, and that's a problem. Yeah, I, I think you're seeing now that we've gotten to the best of seven, you need three pitchers in the postseason to start for you because it's clear Texas, I, I didn't like the idea of starting Scherzer. That was the classic, oh, my gut feeling, and the, like, oh, trust my veteran. Okay, but he hasn't thrown since September. Like, And I will, as a counter-argument to it, and I'm with you, T-Bone, I, I agree with you completely, they didn't have they don't have great options right now as their third or fourth starters in Texas. Like Cody Bradford, the guy that I said the Cardinals, maybe you try to acquire him at the deadline. He he's a he's a throw in. He's like a depth piece for your fifth sp- starter spot in the rotation. That guy was pitching meaningful innings for the Rangers last night in a game three of a postseason series that could potentially flip the series on its head for the Houston Astros. Then they went out there and they ended up pitching in the sixth inning, I think it was our old friend like what what are you doing rangers and the reality is they just don't have options they don't have other guys that they can trust in those types of spots so i get why they end up going with scherzer there but man in that kind of a spot when he hasn't pitched a big league inning in five weeks it's a tough place to be in yeah and, and because they're in this spot 
they are behind the eight ball in terms of their bullpen the next two days because tonight they're going to have to piece Point. it together. I mean, they're going to go with Heaney, and I'm not quite sure who's going to piggyback with them. They're going to have to run two starters essentially out there for tonight's game because they're not going to trust Heaney to go five, six innings, and they shouldn't trust Heaney to go five or six innings in tonight's game unless he's absolutely shoving, but that would be a hell of a surprise. But this is why you need three starters because it just takes those – Sure, you can have a great formidable, too, as we've seen across baseball. You can have the Wheeler, the Nola. You can have the Kelly and the Gallon. You don't have that third guy, though. All of a sudden, it becomes that trickle-down effect of, okay, now we got to, we've got really got to piece game three together with our bullpen. On top of game four, has got to piece together. And then we've really got to hope that in that game five, when the rotation does turn back to our one, he's got it right. Because otherwise, this is three straight days of baseball. There is no two games and then an off day, and then they play game five. It is three straight, and it is too much to ask of your high-leverage relievers, really a lot of your relievers, to pitch in three straight games. It's just too much. So you need someone that can go out there, give you comfortable five innings, I would say. And that's what the Astros got last night, five and two-thirds from Christian Javier. Uh, You're seeing it with the Phillies. Suarez has given them a comfortable four to five innings to where Mm -hmm. they can then turn things over to their bullpen. you got to have that third guy, and that's why the Cardinals, they need to get the top two, and then I think you feel pretty comfortable having Michaelis as that three. So I think they're going to go Dane Dunning as the piggyback probably tonight with Andrew Heaney. And you're hoping that between the two of them, you get through five. The problem is, okay, so you got through five. Now what? Now you got to go to the bullpen and on the underbelly of that bullpen, six, seven innings. You don't feel great about it. So they're they're in an interesting spot right now. Somebody on the text line said, guys, you need four wins to advance. They've got Monty and Evaldi going to pitch again as well. They're in a really good spot. Maybe. Maybe the problem is those guys are going to be going up against Justin Verlander and Framber Valdez. And I understand that Texas has already had some success against those two guys. That does not guarantee future success against them. I think that Houston might end up coming back in this series. Like if I had to predict, obviously the team that's up two to one is more likely to win the series. No doubt about it. All the Vegas odds will tell you that. But I think Houston's in a pretty good spot, all things considered, because they were able to get that win last night. I think it flips the series on its head. Now, on the other side of things, on the NLCS, I mean, this series is over. We don't, you yeah. can go ahead and project forward. What are the Phillies going to do in the World Series? Because that's the team that we're going to be seeing in the World Series from the National League. thought this was interesting. Yesterday on MLB Network, Hannah Kaiser was on with uh, Brian Kinney. And they were talking about Bryce Harper and how he's become a superstar. He's always been a star, but a superstar to an even greater degree over the last two postseasons. Here's what she had to say about him. Do you think that Bryce Harper's performance in the postseason in particular, and also the regular season of late, should make us maybe reconsider who the biggest star in baseball is? I think Bryce Harper is just a perfect baseball superstar. Mike Trout is incredible. This is not to denigrate Mike Trout's production or anything like that, but it is an entertainment product. And I'm not just talking about like what he does on the field with the pantomiming and all of that, but it's a really great story. The way he rises to the moment should make him our sort of foremost baseball star. Do you guys think that he's the face of baseball right now? Yeah, Has abs- Bryce Harper become that for Major League Baseball? Absolutely. And I I would imagine a majority of baseball fans don't like it because really? the type just because the type I think of- he's become I think it's gone like in the opposite direction where it used to be everybody hated him. I think most people like Bryce Harper. See, I, I still feel like people view it as like I hate that guy, but if he was on my team, I'd love him. Like uh, like I view him like Brad Marchand. And Harper is a bigger name <laughs> than Brad Marchand, but like He's the guy that you hate watching, but you're like, damn it, I wish he was on my team. And that's who I feel like Bryce Harper is. And frankly, that is the face of baseball right now. I think he's kind of Joe Burrow. Where like 
at first you're maybe a little off put by the amount of confidence that one man can exude and then you're like god like, bless it i love this man I feel like he's boring though joe burrow like bryce harper is not boring i think he kind of is like the funny thing about bryce harper is that i think we have all projected what we think he is as a person and as a player i i think that any have you ever heard bryce harper in the last like five years say anything particularly interesting in a microphone I really have it for you, the you most know, part. No, you know who Joe Burrow is? It's Nick Castellanos. <laughs> I've never met an individual who's as confident as that dude. That's fair. I think Castellanos is the one that comes off as the villain in Phil, on that Philly team now because of how confident he is for a guy that was really bad last Bryce year. Bryce Harper's counting the amount of home runs his team hits as he's circling the bases. He's staring you know down Actually, dudes. That's fair. <laughs> that's like he's fair. staring down dudes as he, as he turns the bases. That's the equivalent of licking your opponent on the ice in a playoff series. They, they, you you hate a him, fair point. but you're like, but I'd love this dude on my team. He's like if uh, Pat Maroon yeah. was like the, the equivalent of Austin Matthews in yeah. the postseason. Like if you had Pat Maroon's attitude with Austin Matthews skills, yeah. that is essentially what Bryce Harper has become for Major League Baseball. Dude, they should be loving this. First of all, this scene in Philly, I know it's gone a little overboard. I think everybody's kind of kissing their butt behinds with how great the the fans have been in Philadelphia. They, they've been awesome. The environments there have been fantastic. And what you're seeing from Bryce Harper inside of Citizens Bank Stadium, dude, it's it's really cool to watch right now. So baseball should be thrilled about that. This is what he was expected to be. From the moment when he was 16 years old and we heard about him winning home run derbies in Major League Parks to him going to junior college to be able to be eligible for the Major League Baseball draft earlier than what anybody normally <laughs> should the be. Cardinal said, no, 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 no. Everything about him has lived up to expectations thus far. And now maybe the best part about it, he's doing it in the playoffs. That's the one piece to the puzzle that prior to the last couple of years wasn't really there for Harper. He didn't have that big time playoff success. Now he's having it, and he's going to be the driving force, or at least one of the driving forces, between the Phillies getting to -to back-to-back World Series championships. That's amazing. And that's the thing that's really kind of put a damper on the case of a Mike Trout or a Shohei Otani. Hey, man, he is a two-way superstar, Shohei Otani is, but he hasn't been in the postseason. And if you're you're just the casual baseball fan— I'm sure you've heard of Otani, but you don't know him as well. You probably know Harper now because he's not pitching in October. And if he's not pitching in October, you're not staying up late when he's on the West Coast. You're just not. A casual baseball fan is not doing I'm a huge baseball fan, and I struggle to stay up and watch Shohei Otani out in L.A. and wasting away in Los Angeles. But you got Bryce Harper on the East Coast, and he's doing this on the biggest stage. And like you said, he's lived up to everything that could be possible for a guy that was this hyped. Yeah, he's the face of baseball. Yeah. Somebody said, who do you guys see on the cover of games in the major league commercials in other countries? It's Otani. Worldwide, globally, you could maybe make the case. Bryce Harper's been on the cover of of video games, and he's been on commercials, and he's been the face in countries, too. Like, I mean, I could do this with every guy who's been on the big stage, but you know where all those commercials come from at this time of the year? Postseason success. You know where Otani is not? In the postseason. Yeah, I, I think that you could make a case that previously, like, Guys that were on the Astros, like you could have made a case for Carlos Correa, Jose Altuve, one of those guys being the quote unquote face of baseball, because you just saw them every year. We get to October, we're all watching the nationally televised games, and they were the ones that were showing out on the biggest possible stage. Look at now over the last couple of years, it's Bryce Harper who's mm-hmm. been in that scenario. Look at Max Scherzer and Justin Verlander, like they're the faces of baseball on the pitching side of thing for so many years. Why? Because every single season it was postseason, 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 World Series. Like the faces of the games are the ones that win championships or do things historical, and that's what you're seeing right now with Bryce Harper. Look at football. 
the year that Joe Burrow became like the superstar in the league, it was because he made a playoff run. What? Why is it that P- Patrick Mahomes has been the the face of the league? Man, we've seen other guys have spectacular regular seasons. Lamar Jackson had an unbelievable season individually, and then struggled in the postseason. And so we're like, ah, screw that guy. Like we've seen this with a lot of different quarters. Dak Prescott is one of the stars of the league, but he gets crapped on all the time. Maybe deservingly so because his team doesn't have any success in the postseason. Last year, Jalen Hurts earned his respect from the national public uh, viewers because the guy was successful once we got to the playoffs. And Patrick Mahomes, it's the same thing. He is at his best when the games are on the line and they mean the most. That's where Bryce Harper is right now. What was it? The fourth best OPS in postseason history is where he's at right now. Like, dude, that'll do it. That'll do it for you. All right. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so. Alex thinks the Blues offense has a really good chance to be able to get back on track tonight against the Coyotes. He'll explain why coming up in about 15 minutes or so. But coming up next, it is time for our football pick. I'll be honest with you guys. I think I've got like five or six games that I really like going into this week. Famous last words. We'll pick them next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Pick'em, T-Bone and I are both with six points. We're about 50-50 in terms of our, our confidence pool in the first two weeks of this of this current iteration of the Pick'em Challenge. Alex has five points. It was a rough week for uh, T-Bone and Alex last week. I went two and one, got five of the six possible points, getting off the schneid. Good to see. I think oh, this is where the tide turns. Hold on, hold on. More like the on. tide turns. Let's not give this guy too much credit. Yeah. He won a game that he didn't even realize yeah. was in London. I, okay. Two Did, weeks ago. Was it a winner? I two, pick winners two, exclusively. Two right. weeks ago. PK, okay. I would never take a game in London. Alex, I'm warning you. You're going to lose that we game do in have London the, audio of the that. next week. PK, I'm going to take the Ravens on the spread. PK, that's in London. In London? London? Listen, as you learned this morning, uh, sometimes when you have yeah. a child, things go uh, under the radar <laughs> compared to what you were anticipating. You end up like missing a couple of alarm small clocks. details. I can attest PM to that. PM versus AM. I burnt sweet London potato fries versus, last night. You know, US. In the United States. Tomato, tomato. All right, let's get to our pick'em challenge for the week. T-Bone, you've been in the lead all along. You are going to be the one that gets the first selection. What's your one-point game this week? All right, so I'm not going to lie. I don't feel good about any of my picks this week. Yeah, I'm, I'm not going to do the classic. I don't understand this line. No, I'm not touching that. I've got three so of those. My, oh, well, good, three losses. Man, my, no for- my one-point play, I'm going to go to the Sunday night game. This game's going to be awesome. I think Miami's a better team, though. And I, I it's a close spread, so I'm going to be willing to take this one. I, I like the Dolphins plus two and a half at Philly. That Philly offense just hasn't been clicking at the way that I thought it would. And that Miami offense looks like the best that we've seen in some time. So I'm going to take Miami plus two and a half. I hate to be the, the repeat, but that was the one-point play for me, too. It was Miami plus two and a half. I, I have not been impressed with Philadelphia, and I don't see anything that tells me it's going to get any better. Miami is a juggernaut right now. And with Mostert being the lead back, as much as I've liked A-Chain, uh, Mostert has been dominant. So I hate to copy with T-Bone, but that's my uh, one-point play. Is it yours? Sweep it. It was also my one-point play Son as well. Son of a nutcracker. Yeah. I should have went with Philly. You should have waited, and then you would have been able to take the opposite Wasn't side. Wasn't it my turn? I re- yeah. yeah. I oh. really want this <laughs> to be first. I just assumed. a three-point line. 
I think it might end up getting there for you by Sunday morning. So if you were actually betting, I would not place a bet on this just yet because the line has moved a little bit in Philly's direction. I I would wait to place your bet until we get closer to the game on Sunday. But I just think the Dolphins are better. I think they're a better football team right now. Now, their defense does concern me a bit, but uh, Devontae Smith has been missing practice so far. I haven't seen the participation from today's practice just yet. He might be kind of a game-time decision. I'm worried about the Eagles' running game. Lane Johnson being hurt helps you in that regard if you're betting on the Dolphins' side of things. I just, I think they're better. I think they win this one like 27 to 24. And regardless, the fact that I think they win, that that'll be enough for you to be able to cover in this game on Sunday night. So I'm with you, I'm with you guys. We're all riding together. Crap. Dolphins plus two and a half on Sunday night. Well, that means we all lost our one point play. T-Bone, your two point play? I feel like me and Alex are going to repeat again, but I, I like the Lions plus three at the Baltimore Ravens. The I think the Lions are a better football team. And the Vegas saying that this is a three point game means it's essentially a pick them if they're on a neutral field and i think lions are better i think the offense is better i think the defense is better baltimore has not come together like i thought i thought alex was crazy after week one going man this offense i don't know and i went dude relax now i'm going dude you were right uh so i'm gonna go lions plus three at the baltimore ravens so i had that as my two-point play but i'm not doing it because i can't be doing the same as you guys i'm one point down i need to actually make up some ground so the game that i was skeptical about but now i'm reading that he's throwing but I don't even care if Deshaun Watson plays Cleveland minus three against Indianapolis. That defense has been so good. And I don't see how Gardner Minshew is going to have success. Now they're going to have to find a way to eliminate Zach Moss and JT. Um, but I, I've loved that defense and I think you can get adequate offense from there, but uh, I'm going to take Browns minus three NFL heavy going into the upcoming weekend to wow. say the least. I like that was coming for me. Not typical for T-Bone. I like that pick. The reason I didn't do it was because I didn't know what the quarterback situation. I just was. don't even care. I think the defense has been so freaking dominant and without Anthony Richardson, that Colts player that they look lost and they're more pass heavy yeah. whenever they don't have Anthony. And Richardson that's great for Cleveland. They're running a very high pace. They're getting plays off very quickly. They're running a lot of them against a Browns defense. I'm not sure if that's actually going to be advantageous for you. It might actually be a hindrance to what you're trying to do offensively. I like it. I just don't like that. So far, all of mine have been because Miami's on the road too, right? Uh, yes. I don't like how both, both of mine have been all road games. I looked at that Lions line for like 20 minutes last night. Yeah. Just thinking to myself. I shouldn't touch this. I shouldn't touch this. And he slept on it this morning. And he's about to take it. I decided not to do it. Okay, Uh, good. I'm I'm glad I did. I feel confident enough in it because I, the Ravens have underperformed what the expected numbers would be for them so far this year because of all of their red zone struggles. I don't want to get hit with regression in one game against the Lions when they're going to be without David Montgomery. I'm not convinced they're just going to unleash Jameer Gibbs. I think you're going to see a lot of Craig Reynolds in that game. And if that ends up being the case, they're not going to have the running game that you're expecting of them. The passing game becomes a lot more reliant on one guy, and they've got Marlon Humphrey in the slot for the Ravens. It just it's a game that makes me a little queasy. I like it, though. If I was going to pick one side, I would definitely go with the Lions. My next pick is going to be Duke plus 14 and a half. Oh, yes, that's a loss. The Duke Blue Devils are expected to get their starting quarterback in the lineup once again this weekend. He is somebody that missed last week's game. That threw me off of the scent of that game. I liked Duke a lot against NC State. 
I just didn't know if I could take them with their backup quarterback in there. Well, with Riley being back into the lineup expected this weekend against Florida State, I don't think they win this game outright. I absolutely think that they can keep this thing close enough that they'll be within two touchdowns. So give me Duke plus 14 and a half on the road against a team that I really think is very good in Florida State plus 14 and a half. I almost took this game as well, but because there still is just some question in the air with the quarterback situation, I said I don't want to jump on board it. And I like the hook there too. Getting that that half is a difference maker for me. But because there's a lot of certainty, if Leonard gets ruled that he's in today or tomorrow i would jump all on this if i were betting on this game my three-point play i'm going to stick in college football i there's a lot of big spreads in college football this weekend i like penn state straight up against ohio state but i'm not gonna have the guts to pick that i'm going with oklahoma minus 19 versus ucf hot damn their defense has been playing really well and I th- I looked at the Michigan game, but that was 24. I was like, that's too big. I could see Michigan State rivalry game kind of being awake in the first half, and then Michigan can never close that. There's no rivalry between UCF and Oklahoma. Oklahoma's going to have to win out if they want to make the playoff. Good teams cover. Give me Oklahoma minus 19 versus Central Florida. Uh, I'm not going that big of a spread, but this is a little bit bigger of a spread than I like, but I think the team that is the underdog in this sucks. So I'm taking Buffalo minus 8.5. I looked at that one. Not in London. So I don't have to worry about that. And I know the exact opponent that they're taking on. Now, I, I went back. I talked with my dad about this uh, yeah, this morning. And he's like, ah, Bill Belichick threw a desk, apparently. I'm like, yeah, OK. But they still have Mac Jones as the quarterback. And I think a pissed off Josh Allen is typically a good Josh Allen. And after that egg that they laid last week, I know it's on the road. I know it's eight and a half. If this was double digit spread, I'd be a little bit more nervous. But I think Buffalo cleanly covers in this. How one. many teams are definitively worse right now than New England? Like, no doubt about it, you're absolutely certain they are worse Carolina. than the New England Patriots right now. Are we sure? I would say so, because I... I mean, I don't know if I can name a thing Carolina is good at, so I would probably say Carolina, and that's, say about, probably, that's it. I, I would give Carolina the slight edge because their quarterback is more talented. But New England's got the better head coach, so... Denver. I think Denver's worse than New England yeah. right now. Yeah, they don't They've do anything well either. But I don't think they do anything particularly well. They at well. least run the ball decent. The reason why I'm saying this is I'm totally with you, Alex. I understand that it's a big line, and on the road, it's a massive line in favor of uh, the Bills. But, man, New England's terrible. I'm not afraid of that team anymore the way that I once was. And Bill Belichick, yeah, he's on the sidelines. Does that matter against a guy like Josh Allen? It typically doesn't, so I like that pick a lot. My final pick, T-Bone, my kiss of death for your team. What? I love the Rams this weekend. Minus the three points against the Steelers. Somebody explain this one to me. Oh, there it is. Somebody explain it. There it is. The Steelers have been one of the worst teams in the NFL so far this year. I understand that they somehow beat the Ravens. Man, nothing about that game was real. It might as well have been a mirage. Like, we all dreamed that that game happened. They were terrible for... 55 of the 60 minutes and then found a way to win because they have one of the all-time great defend defensive players tj watt basically winning that game on his own they can't score they cannot find ways to score and for all of the issues that we had coming into the season for the rams most of that was on the defensive side of the ball it doesn't matter who the steelers are going up against offensively can't score against anybody so i feel fine about the rams defense i think their offense is going to put up some decent points in this one i think they win like 27 to 13 i don't think that this one's really in question i love the rams minus three points i don't think there's any way this is a loser give me the rams fight on la you started with the i don't understand this but then man when you double down with that statement i'm a rams fan i didn't want to touch this game with a hundred foot pole because i one don't have as much i think the defense has been better than expected 
but I don't trust them enough to say, okay, they could be even Pittsburgh who struggles offensively. Pittsburgh can shut somebody down. They don't just struggle. Pittsburgh does suck. The the other issue with the Rams, I don't know how they're, I don't know what the running game is going to look like. If they get pass happy, TJ Watt can be unleashed and that could kill Stafford. Pittsburgh is getting Deontay Johnson back, who is a good target for Kenny Pickett. Go drop 27 passes. Man, I'm almost rooting for the Steelers. Yeah, this guy's I too confident. Yeah. yeah, too confident. Never been more confident. Coming off of a really good week, I oh, like my yeah. picks That's this why. week. Dolphins plus two and a half. Duke plus fourteen and a half. I get the hook there. Rams minus three at home. Get out of here. That basically means they think that the Rams are the same level of team as the Steelers. I'm sorry, they're not the same level of team. The Rams are a better, or better quality of. Seriously, no home field advantage in LA. There could also be that. In fact, it's going to be a significant yeah. Steelers crowd yeah. in LA going into this upcoming weekend. All right, I just gave you my picks. Alex has the Dolphins plus the two and a half. He's got the Browns minus three, the Bills minus eight and a half, and T-Bone going into this weekend as the Dolphins plus two and a half as well. We're all riding with Miami uh, going into Sunday night. He's got the Lions plus the three, and Oklahoma is his three-point game minus 19 and a half. Oh. We are all separated by just one point going into the weekend. We have hit the uh, halfway point of this month's Pick'em Challenge. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, we're diving into the junk drawer. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line to get involved in the show. But coming up next, Alex thinks this could be the night that the offense gets going for the Blues. Why is that? We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. on BK. So Alex is confident that tonight might be the night that the Blues are able to get back on track offensively. It'd be nice to see. There's no doubt about that. Alex, why is it that you think the Blues can take advantage of this Coyotes team defense? Because Arizona is the prototypical team that the Blues can pounce on. They're a team that wants to play fast, rush hockey, up ice. They've got all of the offense you can ask for. So they're going to be trying to put that into play tonight against this Blues team. The good news is when a team tries to play that way with them, if the defense scheme that they're working with plays the right way you're talking about rushes up the ice the other way it's pond hockey and pond hockey bodes well for a blues team that has the right pieces in place but here's the other factor into it Arizona this season has been the prototypical team that they are every single year they get shots on goal I think right now per game they're averaging where they at? They're averaging 24.7, so they're right by the St. Louis and Blues. And a lot of that is skewed because yeah. in the game against the Islanders, they had 14. Absolutely. And it's the Islanders, we kind of know and how that's a shutdown defensive team, but here's the thing. Against the Islanders, and I forgot who their other two opponents have been. Rangers and New Jersey Devils. They've given up 33 shots on goal per game. Now, those are high-powered offenses. The Blues are going to have to figure this one out, but five-on-five-wise, if you go back and look at last year, the, they played against them. One game, they scored six goals. Another game, they scored two goals. Another game, they got shut out. So you kind had the mixed emotions with all of this one but the defense has taken a step back they don't have Jacob Chikrin anymore like their top guy is Matt Dumba who the Blues have played against um, for uh, the Minnesota Wild here's the other reason why I'm very optimistic and frankly this is your perfect moment to I don't want to say bank on what the Blues offense is going to be but it's going to give you a really good picture this power play is third worst in the National Hockey League they're like 63 percent right now on the penalty kill so if you've ever wanted to see this offense take a step forward it's a team that allows a ton of shots on goal so the Blues have the opportunity to play that cycle hockey that Baruby wants they don't have the biggest bodies like Seattle and Dallas does in terms of going to the front of the net rebound opportunities and when you get power play opportunities man if you don't pounce on this your power play is probably just going to be bad 
They allowed two power play goals on five opportunities against the Devils. One out of three against both New New York, both New York teams, the Rangers and the Islanders. They have not had a clean penalty kill night so far out of their three games this season. And I just found out that the um, their goaltender, I'm trying to think of what his name is, the, uh, the the Czechoslovakian kid, really good against the Blues. He's not playing tonight. It's their backup goaltender, Connor Ingram. He's good, yes. but it's not the same guy. So I'm not sitting here acting like the Blues are going to put 10 up on this dude because he's got like a... Bet the overs what I'm hearing. He's got a 93 save percentage this season for Arizona, so he's fine, but it's not the dude that steals hockey games. It'll be interesting to see. I I hope that they're able to get back on track offensively. I'm just a little skeptical of it at this point, and it's not because I don't believe in the talent. I'm just starting to wonder, is this the way that they want to play? Do they just think, hey, the best thing for us, Joey said it earlier today. He's not saying that randomly. He's probably talked to the guys about it. They know our best opportunity to win games is to lean on our goalie, to lean on our defense, being good in our own zone, and then to take advantage of the opportunities that we have offensively, which might be a little more few and far between than what any of us expected coming into the season. And that's going to mean, you know, lowering expectations on some of the goal scoring production that we were all talking about preseason wise. But if you're able to get things going on the power play, that's where you can change that talk. The power play has to be something that is a reliable weapon for the Blues this year. So far, it has been the opposite. They've allowed as many shots on goal going the opposite direction against their opposing team's penalty kills as they have on net as a power play unit. That has to get fixed. It's got to get fixed quickly, and tonight against Arizona would be a really nice place to do it. Alex, the Blues are not the only team in the NHL, though, that's being challenged so far when it comes to scoring. This came from Greg Wyshynski over on ESPN.com in his overreaction or underreaction piece earlier today. Through the first week of the season, there have been an average of 3.0 goals per team per game on average. That is down by about 0.2 per game from this point last season. Last year was the sixth straight season in which scoring average increased in the NHL. So we saw a real clear boom and it continued to go up. It was a incremental improvement every single year over the last six years in terms of scoring across the league. Now it's starting to trend down. Alex, he thinks that's something that can continue, that we will see sustained over the course of this season. Do you believe the scoring is going to be down this year, or is this a weird, it's been a week of the season, this is going to start trending back up? I think it's going to trend back up. I mean, you look around the league, there's a lot of high-powered offenses. Like, we're talking about New Jersey, we're talking about New York, we're talking about Edmonton, uh, Colorado, Dallas, once they get Rope hints back. You're going to have a lot of teams that are scoring four, five, six goals a game. Uh, I, I do see that in that middle tier of what he's talking about, the trend and why it's probably going to dip down a little bit, mostly because of what the Blues are doing. There are a lot of teams that are copycatting what Vegas just did in terms of defense. Everybody saw Vegas win with zone defense, and they said, all right, well, let's try this. And you know what that does? It limits the amount of rebound chances. It limits the amount of teams that go to the front of the net, and it limits the amount of zone entries. It slows the game down. Yeah. That's the biggest thing is it just it requires – think about when you're playing against a 2-3 zone in, in basketball, right? It slows the game down because it requires so many passes to find the open shot. That's basically what we're talking about if I understand what we're seeing defensively from the blues and from some of these other teams so far you just got to wait for your opportunity and then you shoot it on on Mm -hmm. net and you hope that it gets through maybe create rebounds so on and so forth but that's going to slow the pace of the game which means fewer opportunities to score which means fewer goals that are eventually scored yeah and this is why I, i i can see what he's talking about in terms of like moving forward 
And again, you're going to have the top heavy teams that are scoring a lot of goals, but towards the middle and the bottom tier, you're not going to be seeing the offense that we saw last season. That's getting five or six goals because teams are going to try and figure out now towards the end of the season. Once teams and coaches figure out how to properly attack the zone defense, that's when you'll probably start to see the spike in offense. But man, right now teams are just saying, well, it worked for Vegas. So it's going to work for us. Let's stick to it. And so far, it's eliminating the opportunities. It's given the goaltenders a clearer shot. And goaltending right now is probably at its best in a really long time around the NHL. Somebody from the 636 said, guys, everything, in my opinion, is normal scoring wise. It's just the Blues aren't giving up five goals a game anymore to help out the scoring average. There might be some truth to that. Way to go. (laughs) it, It might be a little bit like, obviously, we haven't seen this hockey in three years. A little tongue in cheek, but. There, There is some truth to the idea that the Blues goal suppression so far this year has brought that that number down in a significant way. You know, and I, and I do want to bring this one up because somebody texted this earlier on our Air Comfort Service text line and they said, why all of a sudden is this working? Because the Blues tried to do this years ago and it never worked. It's personnel. Like when the years when the Blues tried to do this with Mike Yo, when they tried to do this zone defense and it didn't work and Baruby brought the man defense back. Look at the players that they had. Joel Edmondson, Jay Bomeister, Alex Petrangelo, Colton Pareko. Your top four were all six foot four and bigger. You could play the man defense because you were big enough to keep them out of the front of the net. And let's be fair here. It did work. It did work for a year. Well, yeah, it just dropped off because of the personnel you had. His first full season as a head coach here in St. Louis. I think we forget about this. The Blues went 44-32-6. They had 94 points that season. Now they finished fifth in the Central Division, but they had 94 points, and they were sixth in the league in goals against. That was the same defensive structure as what you're playing right now, or at least similar in terms of what they were trying to accomplish. So it worked for them that year. The problem was they were 24th in goal scoring that season. And if you've got a fear of what it ends up meaning for the Blues this year, it it's really that. is that it's mm-hmm. that you're not getting the goal scoring production. And that frustrated, I think, a lot of the guys, including Vladimir Tarasenko, the next year, again, sixth in goal prevention that year, 15th in goal production that season. And a lot of that came after Craig Berube was put into place as the head coach for the Blues. But the structure worked. It was a lack of offense that ended up being the problem for Mike. Yo. Yeah, well, and then look at the personnel you've got now. You've got. Five nine, six foot, six one. It just works better for a team that moves the puck quickly. They can play this zone defense, and that's why we're seeing these low-scoring games. But I, I truly believe tonight against this Arizona Coyotes team, if you don't see the four or five goals, you're going to see more high-danger scoring chances against this team. He's Alex Ferrario. That's Tanner Hendrickson, and I'm Brandon Kylie. Hey, the Fast Lane is uh, going to be broadcasting live tomorrow from 2 to 6 o'clock at River City Casino and Hotel. Later that evening, tomorrow night, the inaugural Blues Warriors Awards Gala will be taking place. Enjoy an evening of dinner, drinks, awards, a live auction, and so much more. Jamie Rivers will be there. Chris Kerber will be there. Former Blues Reed Lowe, Cam Jansen, and Tony Twist will be there as well. Tickets are available right now. Get the details at 101ESPN.com. It is a great cause supporting Blues Warrior Hockey. Coming up next, we're diving into the junk drawer here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The Junk Drawer with BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Fenton Bar and Grill. Best trashed wings in Missouri. Dine in. Carry out. Seven days a week. Let's dive into the Junk 
Sure, Alex, when you were in high school, was there a specific college or uh, an area that you were like, man, I wish I could go there for college? Lindenwood University! I'm talking like getting away from oh. the city of St. Louis. <laughs> no, not really. Um, you wanted to stay home? I wanted to stay home, but I, I wanted to get into broadcasting, and I didn't really know much about outside of the area. Like, everything okay. I, like, when I was a senior in high school, I knew I wanted to be doing, at the time, it was play-by-play, not hosting, but... I, I knew everything about Lindenwood and I'm like, okay, well that makes sense compared to going somewhere else. Now, if I could like pick a state I wanted to go to, it probably would have been Florida or like Hawaii to go to college. Sure. T-Bone, did you ever consider going elsewhere other than uh, Lewis and Clark? <laughs> yes. <laughs> what a but jerk. <laughs> I, I did. I did want to go to like Florida or somewhere that it would be warmer, like during the summer, but or during the winter, excuse me. But I never knew I was going to do that. So I visited TCU. I visited Florida, and I visited Syracuse. Uh, were the three other universities outside of Mizzou that I decided that I, I was looking to potentially go to. You seem like you're a Gator. I, I actually thought I was going to want to go there. And then I visited Gainesville. I was like, I don't think I want to go here. You could have been a SEMO guy, though. The Hawks. Beak? Is that, is that the reference that you're trying to no, make? No, man. It's a real jerk thing to Don't say. Don't appreciate that. So the reason why I wanted to get away is like I, I just didn't want to be in Missouri anymore. I was like, oh, I got to get away, get away, get away. And then I realized, nope, actually, uh, I could go to Missouri for two years, what it would cost for me to go to a lot of these other universities for one year. Money ended up making the decision, ultimately. The reason I ask if you wanted to get away somewhere is because this student from Vietnam decided, you know what, I want to go to America for college. And she specifically wanted to go to sunny Florida, as we all did as well. Makes sense, right? Why not? So she applied to the University of Miami. And she thought to herself, this is going to be perfect. Oh, no. I know I'm, where this is going. I'm going to go to Miami. It's going to be warm during the winters. Oh, no. I get my acceptance letter. Sounds nice. She went to a different University of Miami. She oh. got her acceptance letter no. from Miami University. No. <laughs> in Ohio. Oh, oh no! <laughs> Brutal. Frankly, should you be going to college if you find it the wrong one? <laughs> should can get, you imagine? Did she get now, accepted? She she did. Oh, she congrats. got her acceptance letter. So congratulations to her. Oh, Mom, I'm going to University of Miami. Oh, have fun in Ohio. Uh, this says Ohio. Now, <laughs> she ended up not like traveling to the University of Miami and attempting to like move into her dorm or something that didn't exist, you know, in Florida and it was actually in Ohio. It wasn't that bad. But can you imagine if somebody did this? Where they're like, oh, I'm going to Nevada University and it was in Nevada, Missouri or something like that. Hey, Nevada, Missouri is a great place. Yeah, sure. But can you imagine if you think you're going well, to like Las Vegas? So <laughs> yeah. I, I didn't have one. I didn't, I didn't have one of these. But so when I was looking to play tennis in high school, I, I first visited Kaskaskia and then they didn't give me a full ride scholarship. So I said, OK, maybe I'll just go stay at home and go to OCC for two years. My coach said, we'll go play at Lewis and Clark. And I'm like, I've never heard of Lewis and Clark. So I search it. There's two different Lewis and Clarks. There's Lewis and Clark Community College, which is in Godfrey, Illinois. And then there's like a Lewis and Clark University, which is like in Portland. So like when I first looked it up, I was like, coach, I don't want to go play in Portland. He goes, what are you talking about? It's in Godfrey, Illinois. I was like, what? What? What college did I look at? There's two different Lewis and Clarks. Mine wasn't that bad. This is pretty brutal. This yeah. is now, awful. Again, has nothing fair, to do with the university. She's from Vietnam. Right. It, she yeah. clearly had not done enough research on the situation. She ended up making a video about this. She thought it was funny. She had a lot of fun with it. But man, but like if you type it, well, I mean, if you type it in, like 
you have to type in University of Miami, Ohio to get to that website. Yeah, it's tough, man. It's tough like, look. <laughs> I just typed in University of Miami, and the University of Miami was the first thing to Search pop Miami up. Search Miami University. Okay. See if that pops up, Miami, Ohio. But that's, yep, that's Miami University in Oxford, Illinois. What if you're like, yeah. but you, like you the- want to move to Kentucky, and you go, you are like, hey, Kent State, that's the spot for me. That'd be, bro- that'd be a little rough as well. Not ideal. You want to go to... Paris, and you look up like a university in Versailles, Paris, Illinois, Versailles. Oh, I've been to Paris. They were in our conference. It's not great. It's fine, I think man. there's a Paris, Texas as yeah. well, yeah. if I'm not mistaken. It's fine, you end up man. there. Paris yeah. State University. Man. Like, I'm trying to think how many schools this could happen for. I, I feel like that's probably the biggest one. It's right? not even about the university. It's about the fact that you wanted to go somewhere. Like you were in Vietnam. You're like, I want to go to North America. I want to go to the United States. I want to go to somewhere warm and sunny that I can go to the beach on my off days. Well, how about uh, Lake Ontario? You can go hang out next to on the warm. Dude, it is cold up in Ohio. 40 degree days in the summertime at Ohio. I, I went to Columbus in January. I woke up on the morning that we were supposed to leave and there was like a foot of snow on the ground. My sister like, lived there for a year. Now, she lived in Cleveland and I don't know oh, how different it brutal, is. Brutal, brutal, brutal. Yeah, it was bad. the, like you talk about like getting depression, like way to, that's like how you can fall into depression living yeah. in a place like that. Seattle apparently is the exact same way. it's a little warmer in seattle like in, in seattle it, it does get chilly it's just Don't get dark and rainy all the time yeah. and yeah. that's what it was in Oak cleveland for her like every time i would talk to her be like what's going on well we're in the house because it's dark and it's raining outside my sister moved to jacksonville because of that she moved to jacksonville originally and then eventually ended up in atlanta because it's it's just warmer man like if you feel better when it's warmer outside and it's not dark and gloomy we did get this from the 314 spectacular text Guys, I did something kind of similar to this. I was applying to Missouri State, or at least I thought. Uh-oh. It was Southwest Missouri State, and I accidentally ended up sending my transcripts to Southwest Missouri Baptist University. I can see how that, yeah, that I think, happens. I think when you have to do transcripts, each college has like their own code, so I could see where the you get the wrong code. Dude. Oh, somebody said, what if you tried to apply to the University of Washington, but you ended up applying to Wash U? The problem there is you'd probably get denied at Wash U. So you think that you're going to get into the University of Washington up in, you know, the state. And or instead you get denied from Wash U here in St. Louis. You'd get like multiple too. Because like what if you apply for the University of Washington and you find out it's like Washington, D.C. on top of it. It's like, oh, geez. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, we'll dive into some NFL quick hitters. But next, if we judge a lineup by the six or seven hole hitters, which I think is what you probably should be doing. Everybody's got pretty good lineups in the top four. What about six or seven? How do the Cardinals stack up against the likes of the Rangers, the Astros, and the Phillies, the three teams that are really competing for the World Series this year? We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. So as I was watching the game last night, I was thinking to myself, man, how does the Cardinals lineup compare to the two that I'm watching right now? Now, I know for a lot of people on the text line, they'll immediately text in and say, BK doesn't compare to these teams. They're clutch. You see them when they when they get uh, runners in scoring position, they find a way to come through with hits. Look at Jose Altuve shorten his stroke, finding a way to push it into right field. Yeah, fine. All of that. Great. Well, let's take it a little bit of a step further, if we can, for at least this moment in time. I want to look at the six and seven hole hitters, 
Because I think as you look at the Cardinals lineup, everybody expects them to be really good one through five. And really, if you're a contender, you should be an excellent team when it comes to who's batting first through fifth in your lineup. If you don't, well, then you're probably not a legitimate contender. I think that's where right now you're seeing the Diamondbacks falling a little bit flat. They just they're not they're not deep enough right now to be a championship caliber team. Right. I think the Brewers have had that issue over the years. You look at their lineup. You're like, man, they're. Their three-hole hitter should be batting seventh in a championship contending lineup. These teams that are remaining, though, with the Rangers, the Astros, and the Phillies, that is not the case for them. The guys that are getting the majority of the opportunities right now for those teams batting sixth or seventh are as follows. For the Rangers, it's Jonah Heim and Nate Lau. Those guys this year were both about 10% above league average offensively and both hit more than 15 home runs for the, the Rangers. For the Astros, it's been some combination of Kyle Tucker, Chaz McCormick, and Mauricio Dubon. Now, those three guys all hit at least 10 homers, and with Tucker and McCormick, they hit more than 20 home runs this year. And for Dubon, he was right around league average offensively, but man, McCormick and Tucker were 30 to 40% above league average. Those are some damn good hitters to have that low in your lineup. For the Phillies, it's been JT Realmuto and Nick Castellanos basically every game so far batting sixth or seventh for them. Now, they had down seasons relative to expectations this year, but both of them were like 5 to 10% above league average. And, man, they both hit 20-plus home runs this year. It ended up with Matt, Nick Castellanos at 29, JT Realmuto at 20. When you look at those guys that I just mentioned, that group of seven players that has spent the majority of the time recently batting sixth or seventh for these three teams— how do you feel like the Cardinals can stack up this upcoming year with who's batting sixth or seventh for them, Alex? Well, I mean, let's play this role. I mean, I think we're all in the same agreement that the six and seven hole hitters are probably going to be one of Wilson Contreras, Nolan Gorman, and Jordan Walker. Because we're maybe talking Donovan. maybe Donovan, but like I look at a one-two punch of a Donovan Newt bar more than likely. But regardless, those are the guys we're talking about. Throw Donovan into this one, that's fine. I mean, I frankly would put them in the same conversation as what the Astros have, what the Rangers have. It's just so tough with the Philadelphia Phillies because like when I look at those two names, I feel like both are star caliber players. And what you're doing with the Cardinals is if it's Gorman and Jordan Walker, even if it's a Brendan Donovan, it still is a short sample size. And I'm like, okay, but they can totally get there. And I mean, I guess I can say the same thing for the Astros with Kyle Tucker in that spot, but projection wise, like, of course, I don't know what it's going to be, but projection wise, I would have them in the same conversation because Walker is supposedly a star. Gorman is supposedly a guy who can hit 30 to 40 bombs. And if Wilson Contreras gets shifted back because one of those two are hitting up in the lineup, well, we just saw what Wilson Contreras can can provide. Yeah, I, I think that 6-7 spot's probably going to come down to, and I guess it depends on what they decide to do. If they do what they did this year, it's going to come down to Walker and Donovan probably would be my guess because they did a lot of new bar at the top and then they put Goldie in the two spot and split them with Gorman. And I'm assuming that's probably what they're going to do next year. But maybe the best thing for them is to do, do the two on-base guys up top because that lengthens the lineup in my opinion. Um, it just comes down to how they want to do it because then it is the Contreras and Walker conversation. I wouldn't hate. Going Donovan, Goldie, Newtbar, Arenado, Contreras, Gorman, Walker. Oh, well, I guess they could do that too, yeah. Um, so then it comes down to Gorman it, it's Walker. It's the same result, Yeah, it ultimately, is it, you end up with Gorman and Walker as your six and seven hole hitters. And guys, I feel pretty damn good about that. Yeah, I, I think it comes down to does Walker take that next step offensively? And I have no reason to doubt that he w- would not. So 
I, I think you compare well with those guys. And let's be honest, the whole reason Tucker's kind of hitting down right now is because he went through this weird cold spell. Yeah, he's, he's typically a he's a typical three-hole hitter that's now hitting six. Why? Because he's gotten cold at the wrong time. So I, I think you have the lineup that can compare to those guys. I know nobody wants to hear it. Uh, I thought Eno wrote a great piece today in The Athletic about how there's no such thing as clutch if you look at the numbers. But, oh, boy. Oh, hey, don't look <laughs> at me poking Eno. the bear. Um, but I actually I, disagree with him there. That is one place where the numbers nerds and I disagree. I do think that it is... I think it is hard over the course of the season to say like, hey, in any individual month, a player is clutch or not clutch. I think over the course of time, there are certain guys that come through more often than others. I like I think the moment can become too big for some players. I think the moment became too big for Tyler O'Neill here in St. Louis. I think if he went to Cleveland or Kansas City or something like that, I think it's more than possible that he ends up going on to have a really successful career. I, I disagree with the numbers nerds, and I consider myself to be one of them on, on this specific situation. Man, way to abandon your brothers. Um, but no, I think the Cardinals lineup can compare to those guys. Like, I, I think when you look at, like, Nate Lau and Jonah Heim, like, those guys are really good. I could see where, like, Walker could hit 18, 17 home runs this this coming year and have an OPS where he's 10 to 15% above league average. Like, that that's the kind of numbers you would expect Jordan Walker to do. In fact, I kind of expect him to be a little bit better. But I, I think that you have a lineup that can compete. It just comes down to the starting pitching. I, I think if you put any one of these rotations with the St. Louis Cardinals this year, you're talking about a playoff team. Now, the problem with this is, do they make a trade of one of these guys? That's the thing. And Walker, obviously, is not going anywhere, so you've got one of those guys in the six-hole, but let's go down the path that they have to trade Nolan Gorman to get what they want. Now sure. we're talking about Donovan in your seven-hole. Newt Barr is probably going to be leading off. Contreras is going to be hitting five. I still don't feel I actually awful think, about that. I think Donovan is still probably in your top five-ish. And so Contreras is moving back with Jordan Walker. Well, I mean, I, I think in this scenario, your top five would be Newt Bar, Goldie, Gorman, Arenado, Contreras. No, you're trading Gorman. Or, excuse me. Uh, Donovan. Newt Bar, Goldie, Donovan, Arenado, Contreras. Yeah. So you're replacing Donovan slash Gorman in that six or seven hole. And I I think it's probably, I mean, nobody's going to hear this. No, I think Contreras is still batting top five. I, I think it's probably Burleson who ends up in that spot. And he's now what, I DH? don't think you compare to some of these teams that we're talking about. And it's why I'm I'm starting to become more and more skeptical of trading Nolan Gorman. As I'm watching these teams, I'm thinking to myself, man, that lefty power coming in the middle of your order, all of these teams have it. And if you trade Nolan Gorman, I don't know that you do, man. Like, I like Lars Newpar a lot. He's like a 20 home run hitter. He's not a guy that's going to hit 30 plus. I like Brendan Donovan a ton. I think he's probably going to project to be a 15 home run guy on most years. Maybe he gets to 20 in any individual seasons. Those guys are more known for their on base than they are the power. I want some of that power in the middle of my order batting from the left side. Because as you're going up against these stud right-handed pitchers, I think it does matter that you've got lefty bats there. I, I understand why you would end up trading Nolan Gorman. I, I do get it. I've been the one that's brought this up for a year now. I would be very hesitant to do so because of what we're seeing from other playoff teams. I, I would be more willing to part with an on-base guy. That, that, I was going to say, so then look at the lineup when you take Donovan out of it. I was say, that, that's what I've been saying since, what, the trade deadline? Just because I, I, I dig the long ball. Um, but, I, but look at the offenses. I mean, to BK's point, look, Kyle Schwarber has been crushing it from the left side. Bryce Harper's been crushing it from the left side. Why is that? It's because a lot of teams have right-handed pitching. And now some teams can bring in a left-hander to try and do this like Arizona has Mantiply that they try to apply against Schwarber and Harper but I mean you're mostly facing righties 70% of starters are probably right-handed pitchers in the postseason and when we think about these postseason teams that are playing in the LCS right now 
You're not thinking about, oh, they've got a great on-base guy. No, you're thinking of the guy that's hitting the ball 400 feet, and you're seeing him celebrate the home run. Think Castellanos, think Harper, think Schwarber. Uh, think like Corbin Carroll's an on-base guy that he has slugged, but he kind of cooled down late in the year. He's done nothing. He's done nothing for the Arizona Diamondbacks clutch. in this series. He's not clutch. Sorry, Eno. <laughs> I look at the lineup right now, and it makes me greedy. Because I think you have a championship caliber lineup. I know I'm going to get pushback for that. That's fine. But when they were healthy this year, the lineup was the last thing that was your problem. As you project towards next year, if you simply add pitching with money, and then maybe you get a depth starter by trading an Alec Burleson or one of your current pieces that's in the minor leagues, you trade... One of the one of the catchers ends up going. Yvonne Herrera probably be, would be the one that ends up having more valuable value for you on the on the trade market. I think that is the way that you improve this team the most for the upcoming season. Because I would really like to see what it looks like when Walker and Donovan or Walker and Gorman are batting six and seven for you. That going into a playoff series can compare to the likes of Heim and Lowe or Tucker, McCormick, and Dubon. Or Real Muto and Castellanos. In fact, I think that Real Muto and Castellanos lineup, that's probably the most similar comparison to what you would have there with Walker and especially if you end up having Gorman batting six and seven. That that is a pretty good comparison. Like next year, would it shock you guys? I mean, absolutely shock you if Gorman ends up putting up a season in which he has a twenty nine home run season and is fifteen percent above league average. No, it wouldn't mm. shock me. That's what Nick Castellanos was this year. Yeah. Would it shock you if next year Jordan Walker puts up 20 home runs and is 5 to 10% above league average? No. That is what you saw from JT Real Muto this year. You can have those dudes in the middle of your lineup batting 6th and 7th, back end of your lineup, if you are able to go out there and acquire the pitching with money. Yeah. That's and what I, you got to do. And I mean, yep. my expectation for Gorman, 30, 35 home runs next year. Like that That's the expectation. I, I don't care about the average. He's not going to hit for average. I don't really care about the on-base because he's not really going to be an on-base guy. I expect him to slug, and I expect about 30 to 35 home runs from him next year. Coming up next, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. If you guys would like to get involved in the show, we have seen our first real activity on the trade market in the NFL. Alex, the Kansas City Chiefs added a wide receiver. Why did it have to be this one, though? We'll talk what? about it next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. The uh, trade deadline is about a week and a half away, Alex, and the Kansas City Chiefs got things started. Of course they did. Kicking off the NFL's hot stove season. Big game hunting, I would imagine. They get DeAndre Hop. No. Do they hop above the competition? Do they go after Mike Evans? Mm -mm. The dude who was just in the wrong spot at the wrong time? No. 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 Well, who did they get? They got to get somebody big. They bring back old reliable. Oh, my gosh, they got Tyreek Hill. That's what I thought. Uh, well, you know they what they say. A 2025 sixth round draft pick to wow. the Jets, and in return, they got McCole Hardman and a 2025 seventh round draft pick. Well, you know what the wow. narrative around him is. He is a hard man to cover. I, McCole's fine. 
I don't think he changes a whole lot for the Chiefs. I think there's going to be a lot of Chiefs fans that are excited to have him back in the fold. I don't know exactly what his role is. Like, what's this guy do that Kadarius catches the ball? Does he? No. Do you watch him? With well, the Kadarius Jets? Tony doesn't catch the ball. That's a fair we point. We saw that in the first game of the season. If you're looking for the impact, I think he's a jet sweep guy. He probably helps him out on punt returns, and I think that's kind of it. If you're looking for a wide receiver that's actually going to help them the rest of the way that is currently on the roster, it's Rasheed Rice. He needs to take a step forward, but otherwise, man, they still need a wide receiver at the deadline. This can't be the big move that they no, make at wide receiver. They have to make another one. I, I think Andy Reid and company really like to just like, and everybody looks at their roster and says, well, this team's not good enough to win a Super Bowl. It just likes to win with McCole Hardman and Valdez Scantling and Rasheed Rice and Kadarius Tony. Be like, yeah, I'm awesome. Hey, this is your Jose Quintana. It doesn't Ooh. look sexy, but it's going to be great. Uh, I don't think so. Should I pick him up in fantasy football? No. Okay. No. He's available in our league. I'm going to go me. get him right now. I love I'm going to go get him right now. Just right. in case. So that's the, the big news in the NFL from yesterday is that the Chiefs ended up uh, reuniting with McCole Hardman after he did nothing, absolutely nothing in New York. By the way, it's expected that Frank Clark will also be signing with the Chiefs by the end of the week. Oh, geez. Just bring him back old faithful, yeah. aren't we? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what's, what's happening right now? I don't know. Man. You should have just He's kept talking. Like, they... Just keep Tyreek Hill, man. He's like their fourth best defensive end now. Maybe so the Cardinals should learn from this. Bring back the 2011 squad. Oh, man, they J. did J. that Watson. last year. It seemed to work out pretty well. Albert Poole's back through the door. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh, that Cardinals team. All right. As we continue with some NFL quick hitters, get up asked this question yesterday. I find it to be so interesting coming off of last season. Which quarterback would you rather have right now? Jalen Hurts or Tua Tungavailoa? I will tell you this in their poll, which has 10,000 votes, 64% were for Tua. Who would you rather have Jalen Hurts or Tua Tungabailoa? I think I'd rather have Tua because of his arm. Jalen Hurts has an arm, but man, his, his whole game felt like it was trending towards the Lamar Jackson. And now it's gotten to the point where his run game hasn't been there. You know, he's going to get the QB sneak every time. Got to push that tush. Just push the tush. But other than that, man, like I, I, I at least from what I've seen, and I'm a strong component of, I think Tua has looked so good because of his wide receivers. That's my thing. But Jalen Hurts, I mean, he's got pretty awesome wide receivers as well, and he doesn't look as good as Tua does. So he doesn't have Tyreek. Um, I, I think Tyreek is the best non-quarterback in the NFL right now, like just full stop. And when you have that guy, he is in and of himself an explosive passing game. The Chiefs were explosive when they had Tyreek Hill. Guess what? They're not anymore. They, they don't have explosive pass plays right now because they don't have that dude in the lineup on a week to week basis. I think it was really good. I would have him as like a top 10 quarterback in the league right now. Man, last year, I thought Jalen Hurts was a top three quarterback in the league. And now suddenly we're down on him because he's had some struggles through you know, the first month and a half of the season. I'm not as down on Jalen Hurts as it seems like the the consensus he's is looking, right now. He's looking a lot like what he looked like two years ago, where I was like, huh, like he's good, but he's not going to be that good. And then See, last I, year it came out of nowhere. I don't agree. I, th- I think he's had a couple of weird moments. I think overall, though, he's been he's been fine this year. So I, I would definitely still take Jalen Hurts. If you swapped those two guys, I think Jalen Hurts looks every bit as good as Tua so far. It's He goes about it differently because he's going to add a lot more value with his legs and probably a little less with his arm. But I would rather have Jalen Hurts still. Yeah, I I think I would take Tua too. I, I, I think his arm is a difference maker. And I know like he has the cheat code in the NFL right now with Tyreek. I think the Eagles would look a lot better offensively with Tua right now. And that's not sh- I'm not saying like Hurts is a bad quarterback because I think Hurts has been okay. 
But I'm kind of with Alex. It hasn't lived up to my uh, expectation that I thought we'd see this year. I feel like Tua can do everything Jalen Hurts is doing if he's on this Eagles team because of that offensive line where I don't know if Jalen Hurts can do what Tua is doing if you put him in Miami. That's fair. I still like me some Jalen Hurts, and I still think the Eagles are going to go to the Super Bowl this year. I wouldn't be surprised, unfortunately, if Miami's playing against them. Well, All right, as we that's continue. only if the Detroit Lions prove themselves this weekend against the Baltimore Ravens. <laughs> yeah, they got to prove it. Jesus. Uh, let's continue. By the way, the, the Eagles are the ones that we yeah. should be talking about proving it this weekend. Right. Hey, prove it to me against a real opponent this time around. Like, let's see what you look like against the Miami Dolphins. Yeah. Find a way to stop a playmaker. I think the Eagles are really good still. I think they're my favorite to come out of the NFC. I would like to see them play really well against the Miami Dolphins. I Obviously, all of us are on the Dolphin side of things there, so we're a little skeptical of that being the case on Sunday night. All right, Micah Parsons has been complaining about the way that the Dallas Cowboys are covered. He thinks that they are unfairly scrutinized compared to other teams around the league because he believes that the Cowboys have been really good so far this year, and people jump on them anytime that the Cowboys end up failing. <laughs> He's not wrong. The Cowboys are scrutinized more than other teams around the league. They're four and two right now. And if you look at some of the other teams that we talk about, like some of those other four and two teams, like the Jaguars were like, yeah, I think they're kind of turning it around. I like the way that they're playing this year. Meanwhile, the Cowboys like, oh, the sky is falling. This is not what we expected. Lost to the San Francisco 49ers, barely beat the Chargers. He's right. That's what comes with being a Cowboy, man. I was going to say, this is what happens when you are let me look. Uh, America's team. Yeah. You get the you get well, that caveat put on you as an organization. Yeah, you're gonna get more scrutinized than everybody else. Jacksonville's not America's team. People forget there's a team in Jacksonville. If you're because they're London's team. If you're the Yankee, exactly. if you're a Yankee, you're gonna be more scrutinized. You'll also be more celebrated. If you play for the L.A. Dodgers, you're going to be more scrutinized and you're going to be more celebrated. People are going to want to change the entire postseason rules because your team lost in the NLDS if you play for the Dodgers. And if you're the Cowboys, Micah Parsons, the reason why you're on so many commercials is because you play for the Cowboys. Micah Parsons is an excellent uh, football player. So is T.J. Watt. Micah Parsons has more commercials than T.J. Watt. He has more commercials than Aaron Donald because he plays for the Cowboys. Dak Prescott, the reason why he is so celebrated and so criticized is because of the team that he plays for, the star that is on the side of his helmet. I think sometimes these guys don't understand. Like, they, they get the good and the bad that comes with the team that they play it's for. It's also because, like, you're expected to be a Super Bowl contender. And anytime yeah. a team is expected to be a Super Bowl contender and you lay back-to-back eggs like you did this season, yeah, you're going to get scrutinized. Tell me if, because I got this vibe when I saw the video, he's starting to remind me a lot of Terrell Owens. Who? Parsons. Oh, I don't know. Not on the like on-field stuff, but like the off-field stuff. It's like when something goes down, it's like scrutinizing the co- the Cowboys and like, oh, you're talking bad about me. That's a vibe I got when I saw that video. Because it's not the first time we've seen this from him. Like every single week after the Cowboys game, he's either on a stream talking about how great his team is or he's on a stream talking about how people are talking bad about his he's quarterback. He's Tyreek Hill. Him and Tyreek Hill have the exact same personas in terms of like the, the streaming side of things. I'd argue Tyreek Hill's a little T.O. also. <laughs> fair. You know what? That's fair. I I just get so sick I, of this stuff, man. I also would say this too. Like, be somewhat self-aware. Like, I not just the fact that you're wearing the star, but you've done this before, man. You, you've gotten to the playoffs at 10 and 6 and 10 and yeah. 7, and then you lay an egg. Yeah. Your whole organization lays really an egg. Yeah, your coach like, puts Ezekiel Elliott under let's, center. Let's not act like I'm seeing them 4 and 2 for the first time in a decade. <laughs> yeah. 
I've seen this before. I've this seen your, the Lions. Yeah, yeah. I've if seen was, your coach do this before. If he was six and zero, oh, I would fully back the statement he was yeah. making. Like, dude, let's read the room. <laughs> All right, final thing tonight: Thursday night football. Jaguars at the Saints. Saints are a two point home favorite in this one. You guys explain that one to me. That's no. Uh, maybe it's the Lauren side of it, but they said he's playing. It's yeah. just he's got like the the knee that's bugging him still. Saints suck. I have no idea how this is a thing. I don't understand. <laughs> Derek Carr's arguing with missing? his offensive coordinator. Alvin Kamara looks like he doesn't even care right now. They don't throw the ball to Chris Olave anymore. Uh, their great defense got pretty well shredded last weekend by New, uh, by Houston. I think Houston's pretty good offensively, but they're you know this, we're not talking about the Miami Dolphins. See, I like I, take the under in this one. I, it's I, at four. Yeah, because neither yeah. team can catch. Yeah, I, I, I think the Lawrence injury's driven a lot of this okay. because it, it is a knee, and that is a concerning injury. Now they'll tell you like, oh, he's oh, I heard that about Burrow too. Burrow, and that wasn't yeah. even a knee; that was a calf, and that guy couldn't run around at all. Calf is more concerning to me. Take the Jags plus the two points tonight. Take I, it and I run agree with, with it. that. Take the under two. I'll take the over. Coming up next, it's oh. T Bone's favorite segment of the week. It's time for Believe It or Not. Three one four three nine 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 six four six is the Air Comfort Service text line here on one hundred and one ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on one hundred and one ESPN. This is my moment, okay? Well, hope so. Believe it or not, I'm walking on air. I never thought I could feel so free. Flying away on a wing and a prayer. Who could it be? Believe it or not, it's just me. Four three nine 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 six four six is the air comfort service text line for believe it or not. You give us a scenario. We'll tell you if we're, we're believing it or up. not. That one hit a little different with Alex being in the suit, the maroon suit. You had suit. a compliment in my like, maroon suit today. Oh, dude, I told you on Saturday. I like the look. Looks good. I like it. Yeah. I the like look it looks even better. I walked out of the house, though. And my wife. The look is even better oh. with the mustache. Yeah. See, I walked out of the house and my wife's like, it looks like you're going to a disco. I said, <laughs> yeah. yeah, probably. I watched the movie Tetris. Uh, by the way, decent movie. Not bad. It's okay. Hold on, you want there's a movie about blocks dropping in yeah. place? The uh, the backstory of how Tetris oh. came to be. Yeah, it's kind of good. It's okay. Kind of good. It. You guys are you guys are selling this. The one. music I mean, in it's like really a, good. It's a six out of ten. I would say, yeah. like worth watching, but not something that you're gonna want to go back to. Probably. What's that movie that just came out about the game the GameStop um, oh, controversy uh, that took place? It's got Seth Rogen in it. God, what's yeah. it called? That one's apparently just out. I want to watch that AMC one. AMC GameStop stuff mm-hmm. that really did yeah. on Reddit. I'm, yeah, like the sure. stock exchange that they kind of like swooped in on or whatever. But You oh. look like, by the way, getting back to why I brought up Tetris, you look like Dumb the main money, character. That's what it's called. That's a good looking dude. So I'll, I'll accept that. Thanks, buddy. Dumb money. The, that's what it's dumb called. Dumb money. Thank you. The flow isn't back yet on my, my head. But it's getting there. You'll get there, man. Yeah. Give it a month. And my right, mustache will be back. 399 is the air comfort service text line for Believe It or Not. Guys, believe it or not, last night was the turning point in the ALCS with the Texas Rangers. They're now going to lose, and the Houston Astros will once again be back in the World Series. Believe uh, it. Wow. I, I think I, I think Bochi messed this up. I would have much rather have started Heaney or Dunning in that game. And I know that they need them for game four. I, I would have figured out a way to piece it together. Scherzer was non-competitive last night for them. 
I know he went five and gave up five. Well, can't give up five runs to the Astros, and especially with uh, Javier pitching, because that dude's been awesome ever since he's been in the postseason. So I, I think Bochy messed that one up. I know the analytics haters aren't going to like to hear that, but I, I starting a guy who hadn't pitched since early September was a massive mistake, in my opinion. Uh, I'm not going to believe this one. You're still going to get Montgomery and Ivaldi back in, even if they tie up the series tonight. And I mean, we've seen Montgomery and Ivaldi are dominant. I I think that tonight's going to be a toss up. I think you made the wrong decision. I agree with Max Scherzer, but you're going to keep this one, even if they win it tonight, 2-2, and then you get Ivaldi and Montgomery. So I'm not believing this one. I don't know, man. I don't know. Um, I'm going to say I'm going to believe it. I'm with T-Bone on this one. I, I understand... So the tough part on this is it's it's kind of hard to argue strongly in favor of Dane Dunning or Andrew Heaney as better options for you than Max Scherzer. So I understand completely why they decided to go the route that they did last night. That being said, when Scherzer comes out and looks as poor as he did early on in that one, I understand eight pitch first inning. That's fine. They, it was loud outs. It was really hard hit outs. That does not, just because he got out of the first inning unscathed does not mean that he pitched particularly well. Then he comes out of the second inning and immediately hits uh, Jordan Alvarez and didn't have his command, ended up continuing to get hard early and often in that game. The average exit below against him was over 100 miles per hour. They were hitting the crap out of the baseball. I, if you get a good performance tonight out of the starter for Houston, I think that they're going to win this series. Because then, yeah, they've got Montgomery and Evaldi on the other side. Man, Houston has Verlander and Valdez in those games. It's not like they're at a significant disadvantage. So Yeah, Verlander doesn't strike fear into me anymore, though. Really? I mean, yeah. he pitched really well. I thought he pitched fine, but I think Montgomery and Evaldi have pitched better than Verlander so far. I, I'm not taking Montgomery or Evaldi over Verlander, just point blank period. Agreed. I, I get where you're coming from because they have been better so far this postseason, but I'll I'll take Verlander and I'll take my I chance. think you're living in the past, my man. Dude's Sorry. like 41 years old. Yes. Move on. By the way, Tanner shaved his damn mustache. Did he really? Yeah, the dirt's gone. I, I can't see. So. Well, I can't either. Well, well, that's true also, but the dirt's gone. What the hell? Sorry, man. I'm going to the press box for the Blues game tonight. Oh, yeah. That's embarrassing. That's you. embarrassing oh. for you. You're better than that. It's going to take you a month to get it back to where a it just month. was. I can't believe I'm taking this from the guy who showed up at 11 15 today. Fair enough. Alex, what do you have for believe it believe or not? Believe it or not, the Blues goaltending tandem will win the Jennings Trophy this year. No, it's not. Come on, man. What do you mean, come on, man? I, You're talking about having a top 10 goaltender as your starter and then the backup being a, a quality starter. I went, I went back and look at Anderson and Ronta. This is a Randy BK no type of situation for me. Just an immediate yeah, uh, you'll be BK. Don't even need to take a second to think about it now. No, you're, you're wrong. You're wrong. Frederick Anderson had a uh, 922 save percentage. Like Bennington does that, obviously. Ranta had a 910 save percentage. Joel Hofer could, could do that. Can I see Joel Hofer in an NHL What do you mean? You saw him last season. Year, you year. saw him last year. A better defense this year. You saw him last year with a crappy defense. It's fine. I'm not going to believe this either. Um, I'm not sure I really need to explain myself. <laughs> I, I, I can't see a bounce back. I think Bennington has a bounce back year. But can he get 920 save percentage? Eh, I mean, he hasn't been above nine, what, the last two years? Or not, and when was the last time he was at 910 even? All right, Greg Wyshynski 2.0. Well, kind of agree with Greg on this one. Yeah, so. looking like a stupid I, comment to start I'm, the season off. I'm not going to believe this. T-Bone, what do you got for us? Believe it or not, this Blues defensive style that they are playing, they can win a playoff series this year. I'm going to believe that they can. 
Like, if this style works, you could totally convince yourself that they end up in the playoffs. And, like, we've seen other teams do this. The Islanders a few years ago performed like this, and they just kind of rode a hot stretch of playing really high-level defense into the Stanley Cup, right? I mean, we've seen te- Montreal has done stuff like this didn't, where it's like, whoa, where'd this come from? Didn't Mike Yo's team beat, wasn't it Minnesota in the first round one year? But yeah, I it was Joe's, but that was Jake Allen that stole the show on that yeah. one. Yeah, you, you can, and you've got Jordan Bennington. Like, for all of my questions about Benner in the regular season, I have zero questions about that dude showing up whenever you get into the postseason. He is a proven playoff performer. So, I, yeah, you can. It's just a matter of getting there. And that's the hard part is believing that they're going to get to the place of this is so successful during the regular season. The offense starts to take a step forward and the special teams are better. All of that has to happen for you to get there. But once they get there, yeah, they can they can win a playoff series Man, this way. It's going to be tough. I'm going to believe this one, though, because they can. But think about it. If you're getting into the playoffs, you're not a one or a two seed. You're either a three or a wild card, which means you're taking on one of Dallas or Colorado or Vegas. And that's not going to be an easy scheme to go up against with that defense. I'll believe it, too, because I think they could steal one series. I I think when it comes down to that, because that was my initial thought is, okay, you're going to go up against a Colorado. You're going to go up against probably a Dallas. If you're winning that first series, you should be looked at as a team that can go deep because that's a pretty massive win if you knock off one of those teams. I I disagree because I think you can pull off an upset one time, but to do it four times... Three, two times, three times would be really tough. It, it, typically in a best of seven series, the better team wins. Every now and then you'll get someone that pulls off that upset, especially in hockey where a goalie like Bennington can steal the show. Can he do that for 16 games in a row? Or 16 games? That That's tough. What Did, did Columbus get bounced in the second round that 2019 when they beat Dow, or Tampa, or did they go to the next they round? They lost in the second round because I think they swept Tampa that they lost. I think they got swept. I think they swept and then got swept. I remember correctly. No, Boston beat them four to two. Oh, well, I knew they lost. They lost. Yeah. That's all that matters. Not swept, though, so keep your mouth shut. 3143999646 is the air cover service text line for Believe It or Not. We'll get to a couple of these from the text lines before we get to the rewind on the other side. Guys, believe it or not, people are going to root for Caleb Williams to fail if he continues to double down on the idea that he needs partial ownership of a team that ends up drafting him. Yeah. So, who is this dude? A couple of things here. One, it's not allowed. You're, you're not allowed to get ownership stake. From this, feels like a, this feels like a Lamar ball conversation where like, did, did his dad like come out and say that I want a stake in the ownership of the team? So it's him. Apparently it, there's a report. It's pretty flimsy that said, according to sources, people around Caleb Williams suggested he wants an ownership stake. If he isn't, if he's going to leave school this year, I mean, whatever. I would say this, some of the vibes around Caleb Williams are kind of off putting. It, it, it's kind of Kyler Murray-ish where it's like, hey, you guys need me. And I guess I get it to a degree. Like, the guy's been amazing. He's an unbelievable football player. I'm taking him one overall no matter what, regardless of any of this stuff. But, man, can, can you just go out there and, like, do something? Play well against Notre Dame. Play well against Arizona. Play well this weekend. I think they've got Utah. Like, focus on that stuff. The, the stuff that's coming out about him, like, staying or leaving. Dude, get there in like two months. We'll talk about that whenever we get to that place. But just continue performing at the college level before we get to the place of you being an owner of an NFL team. It it is a little strange, some of the stuff that's coming out. Like that would be like you got to be like the level of Patrick Mahomes before you can start or Tom Brady before you can start talking about ownership stake in a team. You can't be a 
highly touted prospect that's going to be selected first overall to a team that's probably going to be awful. And from what we've seen in college, yeah, you look great on the offensive side of it, but that doesn't mean much if you're making mistakes in football games and try and be the greatest and own a stake in a team with the New England Patriots so with street receiving core. A reminder, it's it's literally not legal. You you can't do this. A team, even if they wanted to give him a 50% stake, you cannot offer ownership stake to a player. That is not a legal thing to do in the NFL. So any of this is just a nonsensical conversation. But I will believe it because I find myself starting to like not like Caleb Williams. I think it's just the attitude I see. It remi- I'm glad you mentioned Kyler Murray because it does remind me a lot of Kyler Murray to where it is. Oh, I'm the best thing that you could get in this draft. Dude, just because you're good in college doesn't mean it's going to translate to the NFL. Enter Josh Dobbs. Him, like, chilling on the sideline where uh, even, like, though he's been even in a good offensive game. I think it was the game against Arizona. First off, you were down a lot early on. Yes, you came back. But him just, like, sitting, feet propped up, got my arms around the the bench. Dude, look like a football player. This (laughs) This isn't a scrimmage. You're out there, and you're on the verge of losing to Arizona. And then you got your ass whooped by Notre Dame. Show up and actually play some football. I, I, I'm concerned. Body language experts coming out. I like I, it. I'm not, I'm not sold on Caleb Williams. Not so much as the, not being the number one pick. I think he'll go number one. I'm starting to question the success he's going to have at the NFL. Level. So much of success at the quarterback position specifically is your ability to, to be a leader. And we'll see. We'll see if he has that or not. I, I'm not questioning it because of these specific reports that are coming out around him, but... I, I do. It, it's it's a little off-putting. I'm not going to lie to you guys. I would still take him number one overall. There's no doubt about it in my mind. I think he's the best college football player that I've seen at that position, like in terms of translating to the NFL, since probably Andrew Luck. I mean, it, it looks Patrick Mahomes-ish. But the thing about Mahomes is that he's got all of the interpersonal skills to go along with that ability on the field. We'll see if that's the case for Caleb Williams or if it veers more into the Kyler Murray route. Because Murray was amazing in college, too. So I forget, Murray was special with what he was doing at Oklahoma in this exact same offense. We'll see. See what it looks like for Caleb Williams in the NFL. For Alex and T-Bone, I'm BK. We'll hit the rewind coming up next. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. anything from today's show be sure to check it out on the podcast page 101 espn.com and the free 101 espn app is where you go to find it it's all presented by dobbs tire and auto centers make sure you listen to the first the first, yeah. Yeah. Was the first say, segment I, was incredible i was, I was, I was about great. to say bk can go back and hear yeah. what we talked about in the first yeah. segment yeah, if you no, were was late to show up <laughs> like, <laughs> on his way in <laughs> i did listen on you the forgot that you thought the show started at 11 15 today which hey sometimes that happens with tim and jackson 1108 11 08 sir i was eight minutes behind Sure. I mean, I was more like uh, about an hour behind, but (laughs) eight minutes in terms of uh, what the audience was able to figure out about it. T-Bone and I learned something about ourselves today. We can can do a lot in like 15 minutes. Well, I cannot, uh, as we learned this morning. All right, the Blues are back in action tonight, Alex. It's going to be nice to be able to see them for the first time, and I believe it is a calendar year. It's ridiculous. Based on the scheduling. It's going to be Joel Hofer in net. Blues going up against the Arizona Coyotes. We know they've had their struggles against them at times in the past. 
Alex, what are you anticipating from this one tonight? What do you let me ask this a different way? What do you want to see from the Blues tonight? I want to see more offense. Like I, I think they're at the point now where they should feel confident in how they play defensively. The scheme works. You don't have to play the style of well, we don't want to make mistakes. We've seen it work. You Plenty guys practice time recently. Yeah, absolutely. You're talking about five on five against each other. Like you know that you can control the play. You know you're not giving up high danger slot chances. So I'd like to see them be a little bit more aggressive on the offensive side. I really want to see. I want to see guys who are winning puck battles along the boards. I hate this go in, take the shot, misses it, and you're coming back out the other way. Get set up, get a couple of opportunities where you shove some players off the puck, some two-on-ones with loose pucks, and find ways to set up offense. Hofer's going to be fine. He's getting his legs. Defense, you know what you're doing against this Arizona team. Keep him to the outside. Right now it comes down to let's see some offense. I want to see the Blues have the better top line. That's something that I would like to see in this game. It's going to be tough with Keller and Schmaltz on the other side. I totally agree, (laughs) but they should be. Yeah. Your guys are paid as such that you should be able to go into this game, and it appears the best line combination in this game is what you have with Thomas and Kairou and Saad. That should be the best line combination in this game. I don't know that it has been so far this year. I think Kairou played really well on Saturday. One of the better games that we've seen from him in a two-way since in a long time. But that would be one thing that I would be paying attention to in this one as well. See, the thing for me is I I want to see less of the one and done from everybody. Not just a specific line. Especially that Hayes line. Yeah, but from everybody. It's got to be less one and done. And then the power play's got to look crisp. If it doesn't look good tonight, they're going to have to really consider significant changes to the power play. Not just little tweaks, but significant changes to what they're doing on special teams. Blues back in action tonight. Alex will have your pregame coverage right here on your home for the Blues. 101 ESPN coming up at 6 o'clock. Joey and Curbs have the puck drop coming your way starting at 7. It'll be T-Bone and myself tomorrow. Alex will be out. We'll be live out at the Sintine Community Ice Center where the Blues are scheduled to have morning skate. We'll have Scott Hartnell. Tomorrow on the show, we will also have Bill Connolly of ESPN.com to help us break down what is a really good college football slate as well. So a lot of that coming up tomorrow. We'll talk to you guys then. The Fast Lane coming up next from 2 to 6 right here on 101 ESPN. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.